Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Welcome to episode 49. It is now returned to the actual Nick and Matt show. <laughs> welcome yeah, back. I, Nick. Yeah, I feel like I haven't podcasted in weeks. I don't know. It feels weird. It has. It's been two weeks. So welcome back, yeah. Nick. Uh, you placed, uh, you think I would know this off the top of my head, 43rd, tied for 43rd. Um, yep. Did you meet your goals and expectations? How'd you feel? Nope. I uh, did not meet my goals and expectations, unfortunately. So I had two goals going into the event. It was to shoot a thousand rated round every single round, which I missed round three, I think. And then uh, it was to place in the top 40, which had I shot one stroke better that round, it would have been 1,005 and it would have put me in 40th place at the end of the tournament. So, okay. Um, <laughs> but, but generally, I mean, overall, overall, I was happy with how I played. I mean, my last round was definitely my best round and it felt pretty good. I had a couple mistakes here and there. But uh, I think one of the biggest highlights that I took from Worlds is I didn't take a single double bogey or triple bogey or anything like that. I just took bogeys here and there. So <laughs> I just took bogeys. Yeah, everybody took yeah. bogeys at this event. But good job, Nick. I didn't compete Thanks. at Worlds, but I competed in, and I told this last week on the show, I got my first tournament ace, and I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. But tonight is not about us. Tonight, no, we're, we are going to be talking to two different people, actually. One being someone that people may or may not know. Uh, his name is Sam, and I believe you say Gads, G-A-D-D-E-S. You may know him as Catch Cam Sam from the Disc Golf Network or Disc Golf Pro Tour. Um, he was the guy, the one, who filmed the shot heard around the world or the holy shot by James yeah. Conrad. And um, yeah. if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, I guess spoiler, go check out I'm some pretty, coverage. I'm pretty sure anyone listening to the show right now knows what we're talking about. <laughs> so we will be talking to him for a few minutes just to get his perspective as the one who captured that moment in time, um, or a lot of moments being video, not photography. <laughs> but, yeah. um, and then we're going to talk to none other, I say none other, than the runner-up to the 2021 World Championships, Paul McBeth. Mm -hmm. I think... I, I can say from my perspective, Nick, I'm, you've already been around, you've been hanging around him. <laughs> from, yeah, kind of. Yeah. A little bit. From my perspective, yeah. I can't wait to find out what his perspective is. So, mm -hmm. all right. <clears throat> Everybody has already kind of looked over and recapped and said their feelings on like what Worlds is, other podcasts, other shows, Disc Golf Network, everybody. We're not going to take a whole bunch of time to go through every mm -hmm. detail of the stats here. But Nick, I'm just curious. Let me just give the top three. James Conrad, Go Paul Macbeth, Nate Sexton. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and then FPO, Katrina Allen, Paige Pierce, Lisa Fakus. I think most people know that. Nick, in the top yeah. 10 or top 20, does anybody stand out to you? Like, give me one or two people that stand out to you uh, for their finishes. Like, that you're like, wow, mm. good for them. I mean, honestly, I thought the third place by Lisa uh, Fakus was pretty surprising to me. Not in a disrespectful way at all, but just I think stepping up to that big of a stage we've seen her do well at silver series events but we haven't seen her name too much at elite series events yet and so to come out in a five round world championship tournament for her to get third place um i thought was pretty big and then on the fpo side other than that 
a lot of really good players obviously finishing in that top 10. I think on the men's side, though, as I'm looking at it now, one big name, Greg Barsby. We haven't seen him at the leaderboard a lot this year throughout any of the events, really. And then same thing to come out in a five-round championship tournament and to shoot 31 under par overall, which was eight strokes back of first place. Uh, that was pretty good for Greg, obviously. Yeah, so... <clears throat> I the reality is we all had our dark horses that we picked and I think James Conrad came up so I say in the top 10 or I say the top 20 who's surprised you or impressed you I think James Conrad yeah. now of course he could have won it and he did mm -hmm. but that was definitely that's an impressive finish um he was not yeah. the favored um Mason Ford I think you mentioned um Emerson Keith was a storyline for a while mm -hmm. um good job for Simon Lazat in the top 20 Yep. And yeah. the, the most notable player to me was Greg Barsby. I, I think it yeah. was like he disappeared after his 2018 world. He didn't show up at 2019. Yeah. And then, honestly, an impressive finish from him. Yeah. Um, I think he had said, I, I was talking to him actually after his round, the final round, and he had said he was like, I was off the tee. I was a 1080 rated player, but putting, he was like, I was only a 1030 rated player. So that's where his averages came out, I think. Kind of like quickly looking at his, he went 1059, 1053, 1036, 56, and 50. So he said his driving off the tee was immaculate. And then his putting, though, wasn't his strong suit, which is kind of surprising. Usually it's his putting that actually helps him out a lot. Well, yeah, because if you look at the stats, thank you to Stat Mando. We've partnered up with them to where they provide us with mm -hmm. these awesome stats. Uh, Greg Barsby, yeah, Circle 1X putting 100th place, Nick, 100th place. So mm -hmm. that was his issue. Um, Want to hear a cool story about Stat Mando? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. D Dion Arlen. Go ahead. Yeah. My uh, my final round. I actually got to play with one of these Stat Mandos, Dion Arlen, and uh, it was really fun. We got to kind of like talk about it a little bit and just how things have been going really well with stats and the show and everything like that. So they've been incredible, and that dude can throw so far with what seems like a little effort. So it was it was pretty fun to play with him. He's also another uh, Discraft Underground teammate. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so, so shout out to Stat Mando again, providing us with these stats. Um, this, let's move over to FPO. So Katrina Allen obviously taking it down. We mentioned that, and I said Paige Pierce second, Lisa Fagus. We're going to talk about how that all went down. You probably know, but I kind of mm -hmm. want to break it down, different perspectives from different people. Um, Ella Hansen, uh, being someone who has talked about significantly coming into Worlds because of her performances recently, mm -hmm. I don't, I would have been surprised if she got top five. Literally, I would have said, okay, this is incredible. She's already having a great performance, but like if she did top five, I would have been blown away. Top 10 yeah. is pretty good. 11, it's a large field. I think, and I hope this inspires her if she wants to continue that. She's And she is working hard, but to continue mm -hmm. to work hard. And I think she'll move up. It's impressive. And then yeah. your reaction to Kristen Tatar. I had picked her, I believe, as my second place finisher. Um, did she have that opportunity, do you think, throughout the tournament? Uh, I don't really think she had the opportunity to win it in a sense. She was playing pretty well the first round and then kind of had a couple oopsie moments and then battled her way back and then another oopsie moment. So she was kind of just averaging in that top 10, top five even. But I don't think after the first round I ever put, picked her in contention to take it down. Yeah. I... Because I had made that pick, I was sitting there watching each round, and I'm like, and by the way, I watched like every FPO minute 
in every MPO minute. It mm-hmm. was so good. Shout out to the Disc Golf Network. Obviously, Smashbox being a huge part of the foundation, no pun intended, yeah. foundation disc golf yeah, podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. The driving force there. Just yeah. spectacular coverage. We're actually going to talk about that too. But my point is mm-hmm. I watched as Kristen Tatar performed and I said, okay, she's a few out. She's a few out. She's sitting there and she's lurking. She can still do it. Last two rounds, she can make it. I thought she did have that opportunity throughout the tournament to take that second. Mm-hmm. She, she missed some putts, yeah. but I, I'm surprised first tournament over yeah. here back in the U S what do you think? I definitely, I definitely would have put her, you know, where she landed. I definitely would have put her in that top five. I definitely think she could have had a spot in the top three. Um, she's capable of it. Obviously she's a major winner with the 2009 U S women's DGC. And, um, so obviously she has the capability to go out and do that. I just think that one, I think there was a ton of pressure on her because she was pretty much representing everyone from across the pond. And then two, I think just coming back and realizing like everyone always talks about the European players and the Estonian players and how, if they come back into the sport, they're going to dominate. And I think there are, a lot of them that are obviously very good players, but we have been seeing this year a lot of dominance coming from Paige Pierce and Katrina Allen. And so I think ultimately, even Haley King, I think ultimately those would be my top two players in the world being Paige Pierce and Katrina Allen. And I think when Evelina, Hannah, and Kristen can consistently play over here, I think that we are going to face the fact that like they're all pretty equal, but I still think like Paige and Kat right now are just playing extremely well at most of the events that they're playing. For sure. And if we look at their stats, again, thank you, Stat Mando. Katrina Allen, I don't want to say surprisingly, but to your point, actually, she performed mm-hmm. at a very high level, taking first gained T to green, first in fairway hits, first in circle reg, circle one reg, circle two reg first. Um, mm-hmm. Not bad also for her scramble. She was fourth in the, the whole division and not Paige or mm-hmm. Lisa or Haley or anybody beating her out on the scramble rate. Um, yep. She... She performed well. I think putting was a little bit of her issue where Paige shined in putting. She didn't as much, but as I think it's said over on the party podcast, they always talk about the fairway goddess, Katrina Allen. That's where she shined. She performed, gained T to green. Uh, yeah. Three strokes, a little more than three strokes better than, yeah. than Paige. So mm-hmm. uh, that is how that kind of played out. And then just real quick, Juliana Corver. Obviously, mm-hmm. another five-time world champion. We didn't have any six times this year. Um, shooting 27 back from first, but enjoying her time as she did it. Um, yeah, it's just great exactly. to have her back. That's, I mean, that's it, incredible. It really is. And I think when we have tournaments that are going to play mostly wooded courses that she goes out to, I think she'll play extremely well on them. I think the courses that we played this year, and we're obviously going to talk a little bit more about this later, the courses that we played this year were strange and i'll just kind of say it from there but mulligans was a wide open bomber course for the most part without too too much trouble off the tee in a sense on certain holes it was very like wide open and then on other holes sometimes there was a guarded green or whatever but um and then the fort had some kind of quirkiness to it but i think when we get to better courses and more wooded courses we're going to see juliana's name slowly rising back to the top all right So the way we've structured our show, we're going to move into the conversation around the dramatic finishes from both the FPO and the MPO. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to give them their due diligence of time. (laughs) I think that's not the right way to say that. We're going to give them the time they deserve. 
Um, and let's go ahead and do that. The feelings I got as I watched now, Nick, were you watching disc golf network primarily for FPO? Like the last round playing. Okay. Okay. I was usually playing for the most part. So, so I, I really didn't get to watch too, too much of the FPO at all, except for, I actually kind of watched the ending. Okay. So that's what we're getting to. I, by the way, I was dealing with, I say dealing with, an anniversary weekend. Me and my wife married 13 years actually today, and I'm doing a disc golf talk show. <laughs> She's upstairs, hopefully yeah. relaxing. Um, yep. But I was in between dates and driving to Boston. I like had it going on and I'm listening and I'm like, this is incredible. The back and forth between the back and forth between Paige and Katrina. Page Katrina, back and forth, OB this, a two-stroke swing here, tied up, mm-hmm. one ahead, down one, up. Paige says in her Instagram post just, I think it was yesterday, those 45 minutes were the most stressful time, I don't know, of her disc golf career, but she said she was extremely stressed. That's how yeah. crazy it was. I, I totally think that it probably was the most stressful 45 minutes of her career in the sense of had she claimed that sixth world title, you kind of end all debates on the greatest woman of all time in our sport. Not getting that sixth world title, especially because she was in such a close race with Kat, not getting that sixth world title is kind of like, holy cow, that all that 45 minutes of stress for nothing, in a sense. Because for the top players in the world, second place to them is not, obviously it's not what they're aiming for. They're not happy about second place. And so she has so many things going on to where had she capped off that sixth world title, it, it just brings on whole a whole different story, but not getting it is kind of like, holy cow. It was, you know, it all just kind of like slapped down. Well, and right to get to that point of not getting it. So it comes down to the last hole and it's unbelievable. She's pulled out a one stroke lead and that's not everything. And everybody knows that going into that hole, that is not everything, but it's a buffer. It's like, I can make one mistake and still pull off Mm -hmm. a tie. You can't make two mistakes. Okay. Or, and you can't have a miracle. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So either way. Yeah. So Paige throws a great shot out there. Cat throws, you know, okay. Enough. Not, not, not able to put the pressure on. Um, cat's mm-hmm. able to get up to somewhere near the cornerish. Um, cat throws what is arguably would have been for FPO and maybe still is. That's a whole conversation. Yeah the most clutch throw in a world championship for FPO. Uh, what's your reaction so, to that? Well, all right. So here's the funny part is because at this point I was on hole six. No, I'm sorry. Hole seven at the fort uh, during the final round hole seven. It's an elevated tee pad. So you walk up this kind of like steep hill and then you're teeing looking downhill the whole time. But if you turn around, you can see the fairway for 16. You can see the upshots for 18. And so we were all watching kind of you disc live scoring because we knew it was a tight battle going on and no one was behind us for a while. Like they had gotten stuck on hole four or five. So the card behind us was a little ways away. And so we actually didn't tee off for a few minutes because one, everyone was cheering. And so it's kind of hard to like, all of a sudden you just hear cheers when you're throwing. And then uh, we saw where Katrina Allen landed on her drive. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if Paige has a one stroke lead, and gets to throw second, she's in the driver's seat. Whether Paige, or excuse me, whether Cat gets up and down on the fairway or not, Paige is still kind of in the driver's seat. If Paige has to throw first, she has to make the decision, do I lay up or do I go for it and seal it? 
So anyways, Katrina's obviously first. And we watch her throw. There's, I don't know, probably 12 of us up at the T-pad at this time between players, caddies, and everything like that. And uh, we watch her throw this high Annie. And in my head, I was like, that does not look good at all. I was like, I thought that was going to fade out super quick, not even B.O.B. in the circle. I just, I thought it was a bad shot. And then all of a sudden we hear, oh, and then I'm not going to scream in the microphone right now, but everyone (laughs) just went ballistic. And so then we were like, holy crap, like she actually landed in bounds. This is insane. And then uh, Paige throws throws an upshot. And then at this point, the card behind us was finally catching up. So we're like, okay, let's go play. And uh, so I had thrown a really good tee shot on my hole. And so I picked up my phone and I started looking at the uh, disc golf network and I was watching it. Everyone was throwing their shots and my disc was only, you know, just kind of brag. My disc was only like five feet from the basket. So I'd have to putt for a little while or think about putting. And um, so I was looking at my phone we saw Paige throw her first upshot, which was kind of like a jump putt. And then we watched her throw that second or technically her third shot. And when she threw it out of bounds, it was like, what the hell just happened? And everyone in our group, we all kind of looked at each other and we were just like, we didn't even know what to say. Cause it was like everyone in their mind had the idea of, okay, she's laying up. Katrina has to hit a big putt to, you know, push it into a playoff. And then when Paige threw it OB, it was like, okay, well, she's probably not going to make that putt from where she went OB. So I was like, so Katrina can actually lay it up and win the world title. And we were all just like flabbergasted that it turned out that way on hole 18. And uh, so that, that was pretty sweet. I yeah. got to kind of watch a little bit live in person, and then I got to see it <laughs> unroll on the Disc Golf Network. We're on FPO right now. When we get to F- MPO, I'm going to ask, you know, where were you at that moment? But for yeah. FPO, you're not wrong. Everything you said, I'm not going to recap at all. It was like... Mm-hmm. I saw Kat throw that and I could not believe how clutch that was. Like you had to do it. Even Paige calls it yeah. out. You did it. You performed well. Amazing. Impressive. Good job, Kat. This is, this is after. But Paige throwing OB or yeah, throwing OB on her second upshot. Yeah. People want to call out this little kid or baby or something. And I'm like, here's my thought. If Paige says that that's the issue, which she won't, then I would actually give it some credit. If she's not saying it, then I'm not going to talk about it. Like, I don't yeah. think that was the case. The fact of the matter, yeah, so, no. Yeah, I, I don't think when you when you put Paige and Katrina in that position, they're both obviously world champions. They're both clutch players, and they're both good at upshots. I mean, they're not. it's not like they're bad at upshots or to where, like, this moment they've never thrown the shot before. It was a pretty straightforward shot, and I think she just, I think nerves obviously get to people. They're contending for a world title. Like, obviously, she's nervous. Right. And uh, she just kind of softed it, left it out early. I don't, I don't think there was any sort of distraction. I think it was kind of just like, holy crap, what just happened, in a sense. Yeah, so for her, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I see what happened. She fell down and was like really... I, I don't know. We are wondering what happened. She's laying on the ground, just obviously recognizing defeat. And yeah. that had to be one of those moments where she felt like she made the mistake. And so it's all on her. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move over. to So congrats to Katrina. Incredible. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I didn't want to go on without saying how clutch that was from Katrina. That, that shot was insane. And for... Like she hit a really clutch spot and she, you know, fist bumped, she kind of jumped a little bit. She showed just like raw emotion when she threw that shot. 
and to have all that success with it and then to be able to go up and lay up for the world championships is kind of like wow like that works perfectly it it literally did exactly what it was supposed to do in the sense of where katrina made the shot now page all the pressure is back on page to just get up and down and win the world championships yep you know what i mean incredible you know pretty crazy yeah all right so let's move over to mpo and we're going to talk about the shot and i don't know how it's going to go down forever i've heard everything from holy shot to the shot heard around the world to the most clutch the clutch throw of all time and hearing Ian Anderson replay in my ears over and over. Oh no. <laughs> like yeah. he's just like, this is yeah, like, yeah. no way, no way. Like yeah. he's just going crazy and everyone's just screaming and going wild. Um, let's lead. Actually, let me just go ahead and lead right into it. We've got Sam Gads. Is that how you say your last name, Sam? Uh, Gaddis. Gaddis. <laughs> I apologize. I always just read it. I don't Gattis. say it. Okay, oh, it happens all the time. All right, so Sam Gaddis. This is Catch Cam Sam, as some would know him. Disc Golf Pro Tour uh, employee, maybe Disc Golf Network. I don't know how you would associate yourself. Which one? Uh, I'm the media ops manager for the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Okay, yeah. awesome. But you do the... And also Catch Cam for most of the, most of the shows. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll see. you'll see him sometimes, guys, in the background running around trying to get ahead because he's got to get the catch shot. So Mm -hmm. coming into hole 18, you guys are pretty locked in, I would assume, with your phone conferencing or radios or whatever you're using now. You knew the situation. Um, Were you advancing specifically for James' throw, or were you already there because you were already there? Um, Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before the the show started about kind of strategies of where we wanted to put our cameras. Uh, We put someone up way high. And, uh, yeah, when we had a, a, a camera crew on the chase card and when they finished with the chase card, we basically had one go high and one go to the layup zone. And then I went straight to the catch position. Um, so that's just kind of how we um, planned it out just from the beginning of it. Right. And so you're there and you know how it's you, you know how it's playing out. You said, hey, he has to throw this in. Did you know that? Um, I knew he had to throw it in. I didn't know if it was for the win or for to force a playoff. And because if I'm honest, it's a lot of times when you're out there filming, you're you, I, I seriously go up to fans all the time and like, hey, you know what the score is right now? Because <laughs> sometimes you're just so locked in your focus, you're active listening to the broadcast for so long. It, it, sometimes it is kind of hard to keep up. I knew that James had to throw it in for something. You know, I, I knew he had to make a shot. Um, and I knew, I didn't know if the throw in was going to be for the win or for the playoff. I, I honestly did not. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've filmed a little bit and I can totally relate to that. Not knowing where it's at. You got to ask. So yep, it's all quiet. And at least to the perspective of disc golf network viewers, you're not hearing anything, um, for the most part. And you know that James has to throw it in as a viewer and he puts yeah. it up in the air. Um, I can't remember for sure when they switched the shot. You'd think I would by now. I've watched it so many times. Um, were you zoomed in on James throwing, or were you pretty wide when trying to catch the shot? No, I started all the way zoomed in on James. Um, I basically knew, I was like, man, it'd be really cool if it went in. <laughs> so I'm like, kind of like in the back of my mind, be like, you know, like you can sh- shoot it so that like, you know, the possibility of it going in. But like, at, at, no, at, at no point, I was like, Oh yeah, no, this is definitely a chance of going in, but it's just like in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, just, just in case, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. make sure you're aware of what could possibly happen. 
And I feel like I've actually, I, I, I don't have as much experience as you at all. You've done everything from NHL hockey to now pro disc golf. But mm-hmm. I did film one throw-in on the pro tour at Idlewild from Eagle McMahon. It was an eagle on, I think it was hole two. Hole two. And I was, wow. Oh, I remember that. That was last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. I was working with the disc golf guy. Shout out to him. And I was on catch cam. And I, I guess where I'm going with this is not to say, hey, look what I've done it too. But it's one of those things, right? You're tracking it. And 99.9% of the time on those throws like that, you're just following it past the basket. What went through your mind right when it hit? Did you just say, I just got to stick this here? Or like, now where do I put my shot? Like, what, what was your next thought? I made sure to go wide enough so that I knew, like, I just had a little wiggle room on, like, the framing of it all. But honestly, I, I, you can ask some of the other guys on the team who was at the, on the 18th hole as well. If you looked at my face, you just would have seen just utter shock. I was absolutely dumbfounded. I could not. I, I could barely understand what just happened. Like it was just, it was absolutely incredible. I could not believe my eyes and it happened 30 feet right in front of me. It was absolutely <laughs> incredible. I, I, I can't believe I was so fortunate to be in the position to be able to just be part of that and help share it with everyone. Like it, it's, um, it was really just like, it was an honor to be able to just help, you know, show everyone what happened and share that moment with everyone at home. Uh, yeah. it was, it was yeah, absolutely yeah. incredible. There's so many things going <laughs> through my mind, but all I could do. So, okay. So you're watching everyone, like it goes in, everyone is like going absolutely nuts. And it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Just like people hugging and just like strangers and just like high-fiving. The energy was incredible. My job is to sit there, stand still and don't say anything, you know? <laughs> so it was, Did it, you? I was just uh, thinking about it later. Did, that? did you say anything? Because do you have on uh, on camera microphone? Like, w- could we pull that up yeah. and like hear you freaking out? <laughs> no. So um, I, the only thing is, there was a photographer who stepped in my way, and I was like, "Get out of my shot." But like, other than that, no, man. Yeah, it, it went in, and I was just silent, held it, and just like I just trying to do my job. I guess I don't know. Um, that yeah. <laughs> you, you are a part of, and and for what it's worth, no one will remember you. <laughs> But, yeah, no, I, I but, don't see. I don't even want to be remembered. Like, I was actually shocked you guys even asked me to come on here. I'm like, that's not why I no, do it. You know, and it's, I, I, I want to be clear. Not about me. I want to you know be clear. I mean? It's about James. And all I want to be but, clear. Yeah. I'm not coming off as the the good host here, saying no one's gonna remember you. I wanted to follow it up, but say like, but that's something that you are gonna have the claim for. I filmed that shot, and I want to say to you. You are a part of something that is translated into what I believe is the biggest live disc golf coverage moment ever and will always be looked at as the turning point for the, the, the sports media production. It's going to be this moment and you filmed it. So I want to thank you as a disc golf fan for being a part of that growth and doing that with your camera. Yeah, happy to do it, man. I love what I do. Honestly, I, I cannot imagine doing anything else. I, it's an absolute dream job. Like I said, it's a it was an absolute honor to be able to help share that with everyone. And I was just happy to be there and see it. It was incredible. I I, I haven't stopped thinking about it for the last couple of days. Seriously, <laughs> it's 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 wild. I I just I was just like you know I'll forget about it for a second, and then all of a sudden I'll be like walking somewhere and be like, holy wow wow. <laughs> That's just like absolutely incredible. Like it's still catching me off guard. And when you watch it back, do you get uh, the chills or anything when you watch it? 
Yeah, I don't know. Not the chills. I, I, I just kind of just remember what I was thinking at that moment, really. Um, not really chills or anything like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's just, I've watched, I've definitely watched it a bunch of times. I think like everyone else. Do you um, know what the number is? Still, part of me doesn't believe it's going to go in every time. You know what I mean? Like you watch it again, again you're like, it's not going in. Yeah. Do you know, <laughs> do you know, um, oh, what was I going to say on this one? The number, the total, the total views at this point. Do you have any idea? I've seen a couple million on some videos and it's obviously shared sports yeah, center and everywhere on, else. Any idea? On our, yeah, on our, on the Disc Golf Pro Tour Facebook page, it's just hit 2.1 million. I, I was just looking. Yeah. Um, other than the, the other numbers, I really don't know. I just know the Facebook, the Facebook, uh, number right now, well, which is incredible. I've never really, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big number. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Your shot, I believe, and I'll say this before we let you go. I already said thank you, but your shot, I think, is going to be more viewed. This is a not a hot take, more than probably the Philobatross. I, I really believe that this moment is going to be. It, it'll it'll hundred percent be viewed more than the Philobatross. So there That's you go, cool, man. There you go. That sounds great. I'm 100%. happy to be a part of it for real. And now yeah. we're we're on to the next one, man. You know, yep. like that's. All yeah, right. we gotta find that next moment, you know, and and try and share it with everyone. That's what we were talking about. We were like, "Wow, man! Like, I, it's hard to think about anything bigger than this, but you never know." And uh, hopefully, we'll be there to yeah. share it with everyone, you know, and 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 everyone else can see it. But that's our hope for sure. Your your camera crew, the people that were out there recording that final round live, getting the most viewers that we've ever had on the Disc Golf Network and everything like that. You guys are the reason why the debate ended between what's better live disc golf or post-production your crew completely settled that debate you and james conrad <laughs> hey so real quick i do i would love to shout out the entire crew um they did amazing this past week it was five rounds we were filming two rounds a day and everyone was there to and was there to do their job they did an amazing job we had tom rap john Braidman, aaron kirby Pavo Stubbs said, uh, myself, uh, Evan Spur, Cam Barner, and Trent Nickel. That was the team bringing the the live coverage of uh, for the worlds. And I just that seriously, like all everything goes out to them. They without them, this would not even have been possible. Um, it's it's really incredible the work they did, the the work ethic they had, the attitude they had all week. It was hot. It was really tough it was you know it, it was a lot of work and um they it was an amazing crew um i and i could not be more proud of all of them they were absolutely amazing and they'll continue to be amazing because they're i mean i'm sure you'll you'll see them all back out with cameras in their hands at, at pro tour events in the future because um I, I i really feel like we had just the perfect crew for this week um mm -hmm. and i was i was so pleased to see it all unfold and it all just work out the way it did. And, and at the end of the day, we just, we just happened to be there and, and we got lucky to catch <laughs> just an incredible shot. Really. Yeah. Um, we just, we were there and, and it happens and we were just able to, you know, share it with everyone. And, and that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Well, you guys' hard work made, I think everyone's disc golf network subscription absolutely worth it in one shot than <laughs> every other tournament so far this year. I mean, just being able to watch that live, for people who were able to watch on the disc golf network, what an incredible moment that must've been with family and friends and everything like that. Yeah, it was, it was really great. It was a, it was a moment that we could all share together as a crew. Mm -hmm. Um, it all just kind of like look back on the road 
to where we got and we're just like man you know that was pretty cool like all the things we were doing and all the things you know we were learning on the way and all the mistakes we made and all the progress mm -hmm. we made um it was cool just to you know have it all kind of come together like that in just one special moment we got to share with the fans at at the course at home all over um it, it was really just such a surreal and incredible thing to be a part of yeah so oh absolutely um, I'm, just, I'm just grateful and uh yeah um just trying to get ready for the next uh holy shot yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. well, I know you from up here in New England, obviously Massachusetts. Uh, we look forward to having you back up on the East Coast. And when we make it back home, I'll definitely say hi. I'll introduce you to Nick in person. But it was great to have you on the show tonight. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective, Sam. Um, yeah. Hopefully you film more like this in the future. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah. yeah, really great to be on the show. Take, take it easy, man. Appreciate right, it. Right, Talk to you later. Thanks. All right. That was Sam Gaddis, everybody. Uh, filmed, as I mentioned, he also has filmed um, NHL events, uh, Stanley Cup, I believe, finals, even uh, with the Boston Bruins at TD Garden, Boston. This guy brings experience and he captured. I wanted to ask him, and we just were going a little long. I wanted to ask him, is that the best shot you've ever filmed on a camera ever? It, it, it has to be the most. <laughs> insane shot that he's ever filmed it just has to be i, I can't imagine him <laughs> picking anything else all right um so we've made it to this point in the show where i do need to do two shout outs one is nick mm -hmm. you don't know this but we just hit our highest ever concurrent viewers no, ever i do know it i was gonna say it because i went on youtube just to kind of like <laughs> see what we we're at and so for the over 1,000 people watching our show live right now, we are getting up to the moment that I would say everyone's been waiting for. Uh, but I, I wanted to take a second and just say I appreciate anyone tuning in tonight. If it's your first time, check us out. We have a bunch of different episodes, but we are about to get into a very real interview. And I think it's one that a lot of people are very excited to hear the perspectives on. Yeah, for sure. So... um I want to say also, if you want to support the Nick and Matt show, go check out. This is Foundation uh, Podcast, the YouTube channel you're on right now. Subscribe here or go over to uh, Foundation Disc Golf or FoundationDiscs.com. You can find mm -hmm. the Nick and Matt show hats, shirts, um, and a whole bunch of other good foundation stuff. Yeah, there's the hat. Exactly. There's different colors, too. All right. So without I, uh, further ado, I, I had to give someone a call. I had to bribe him to come down here. And I actually I have him in studio tonight. And I think, like I said, I think this is something that a lot of people have been waiting for and want to hear the actual perspectives on. But we have none other than Paul Macbeth. Yeah, that's right. Live? Yeah. So you are live. Yeah. And I got to change real quick. He's live, but I have to change. It says Nick Carl. So we got to right change now, it from Nick, Nick Carl, Carl, by the way. <laughs> and I'm you which means the keys to your vehicle that's outside right now. I'm going to need those. Um, <laughs> All well, right. Paul, how are you? While well, he's changing everything. There, we're good oh, now. I'm good. I'm good. I wasn't expecting it to be that this hot out here right now. That's for sure. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Super hot. Super hot. A lot of stuff's going down. Um, let's just get right into it. We've got our largest audience ever. And large thanks, obviously, to you and your performance at Worlds. Um, I will say in everything you've done for the sport, shout out to your disc golf foundation. That's been doing awesome things as well. Real quick, before we get mm -hmm. into worlds, I think there was an announcement. You have another course already set to go to. Do you know what that is or where that is? <laughs> oh yes. For the foundation. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
We have two. We have two. So it, first one is in Guatemala, Antigua. Um, I don't actually. I don't know which one's first, but we announced two. So Guatemala and then Medellin, Colombia. So we got two coming up. I won't be there for the installation of the projects, but I will. The goal is to get out there this winter and go and check them out and probably do some clinics and just, you know, reintroduce disc golf. Um, you know, once the once the courses are in. So I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to it. I hear Nick popping a bag of jerky. <laughs> uh, I, br- I brought him some. This is the, the new the oh. foundation or the Paul McBeth Foundation. Oh, right. uh, bags of jerky with the uh, double G craft jerky. That? The new Paul McBeth signature. This is the McBeast barbecue style. Yeah, let me know how it is. That it's delicious. Is, I've already had a few. Yeah, that's the only flavor of jerky I haven't tried yet from them. So I'm definitely going to go out and order some. So shout out for that yeah. as well. It's um, really good. They they sent me a bunch of samples to try. It makes for a great dinner. That was, a, that was the one I liked the most out of all the all the new flavors that they're experimenting with. Okay. I, you've already, I mean, that's a huge shout out to them. I think people need to go check out Double G Craft Jerky. I've, I was enjoying some before the show, but go find the Paul McBeth Foundation. That will support there. So let's get right in. You're also, well, really, really quick. You're also wearing some really cool Paul McBeth Foundation gear. Where can we find that? I don't know if it's out yet, um, but it will be paulmcbethfoundation.org. And it's actually, it's, it's. I guess sent out here from Foundation Disc Golf, so yep. that's where we are right now. So I just actually took some, and they opened up the box. So if you can't really see it on the camera, it's a snapback. It's a yeah. trucker hat, right? Yeah. With like the a white Paul McBeth Foundation logo on it, mm-hmm. and then the shirt itself—that's the new Dry right. Fits one. Yeah, it's actually really comfortable. I was surprised when I have these little shoulder vents right here, which are, nice, which are nice. And sorry, I keep looking to the left because Nick's right there, so I'm used to <laughs> talking to him. Yeah, don't don't look don't yeah. look my way. All but, right. Um, that's funny. Yeah. So we're trying to do all this techie stuff. And here we are, the Nick and Matt show, trying to do things on a large level like Disc Golf Network. But here we go. Your performance during the final round of the world championships was nearly good enough. And I don't have to tell you to walk away with your sixth world title. Can you walk us through your perspective on how the final hole played out from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I could walk you through the final round or the final hole. Uh, you want to go final hole first? If you. Give it, give it, give it all to us. How about that? All right. All right. I'll go. So yeah, I'll go back. Cause we were battling the whole time. Um, I know I built up a little lead before the par five hole nine, uh, made a really big mistake on my drive there. And then, then it was a real ball game heading into the back nine. You know, I only had a one stroke lead at that point. Uh, but I felt like the momentum really shifted on hole 13 when I hit that big putt, you know, James had laid up right in front of me. I hit that like 45, 50 footer on the elevated basket with the OB right behind it. That's kind of where I felt like, all right, if I want to win this tournament, this is, this is the one I need to make right here. Uh, and just fully committed and knock that one down. And then it was just, who's going to make the next mistake. Uh, and James and I ended up burning 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, and then we got to the last hole and I threw my drive pretty much perfect. Um, I think the only other spot I'd like to be is where Calvin was. But uh, kept it in bounds, and James hit. He didn't throw a good drive. He had that extremely far right, hit the tree, and, and kicked back almost almost into the water. And if he kicked into the water, then then it was game over uh, because the best he could have done was a, a par because the drop zone's a little bit too far for a throw-in. Well, no, I think he would have to take it from the water. I'm not sure how the ruling is there. Um, 
And then he he didn't throw a great upshot from there. So as soon as I saw where his upshot was, I thought it was pretty much over. I said, all I got to do is get up past the mandatory drop zone. And then it was just a little pitch up with my zone from there. And I'd be the 2021 world champion. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things to where I've just looked back at it so many different times to where I think if James threw a great drive and he was looking at a birdie, I would have easily made the, the choice to go for it. Um, and that would have been, you know, if I wouldn't have converted the shot, then I would have lost to where it feels more like James kind of took it. You know, he threw the, he threw the drive that wasn't that great he threw the upshot that wasn't that great. And then he just threw the greatest shot that's ever happened in disc golf. So, uh, you know, the way that I look at it is kind of like, he just played the strategy perfectly. He kind of took away me even thinking about going for it with the two shots prior to that. Um, so it's just, I don't know. A lot. I think there's a lessons to be learned too for myself because I kind of let that that carry over into the playoff to where I should have just realized like I'm still in the driver's seat. I've still been making all the right shots. Um, even after he put the, his shot on the island, I still should have been able to to convert that, um, but just gave it a little too much. Yeah. So I just want to follow it up by saying, because right, I I thought I heard you say this in your response here, had. James outdrove you on hole 18's tee. So meaning like he would have, you would have been throwing first. Would well, you, I mean, even would you if, have went for even it? If he threw, even if he threw, like, let's say his drive wasn't better than mine, but his upshot was only a hundred feet away. Like even if he threw it within, you know, 150 feet, I would have felt like I still would have had to go for it. Cause that's very makeable, very, very makeable. Um, I think he just, the two shots he threw, I feel like, that's the only way I lay up in that situation and not be guaranteed the win, you know, to where if he lays it, like he throws that shot and then he goes for it from there and goes out of bounds, then I'm guaranteed layup. Um, you know, any other, any other situation, I think this is the only way it plays out to where he wins in that moment and throws it in because I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I so, don't know any other. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So what you're saying, and, and just to be clear again, had you thrown, if you were the first one to throw your shot, meaning after the drives, you would oh, have guaranteed. Went, you would have went for it. it. Yeah, okay. guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have to. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, it, even if his layup was better, even if his layup like made it past the mandatory to where he had less than 200 feet of any sort, I felt like I would have had to go for it still, because it's he can throw it in, you know. So. I just felt like he was he still had to throw an Anheuser around the mandatory. He still had to shape it really well. Um but yeah, that that hole kind of kind of set up for that. I didn't love the hole to begin with, but I think it kind of set up for this kind of finish. I uh I saw a meme online and it's it it was Doctor Strange talking to Iron Man in Avengers Infinity War when Dr. Strange looks into the future and he sees, you know, the billions of different scenarios and then what is the one scenario that wins and someone posted a meme and it was, I think that's exactly what you're talking about is that is literally the one scenario that James Conrad hits that shot to where if his drive was picture perfect, he, you know, or he throws before you on his upshot, he gets to the green, then you go for it and you were already what two for two for two on that hole. Yeah. Yeah. So like you had thrown that upshot well you had a good drive you had a great i'm assuming you went forehand forehand yep. on that hole and uh yeah i think the way it played out that was the one 
scenario where it does play out like that, which is wild. Yeah, I mean, he took away my only chance of trying to hold on to the tournament, you know, because he was, you know, his drive was so, you know, so poor after hitting that tree and then the upshot to where I didn't even have to think about going for it because I didn't think that throwing that in was was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, yeah, it's just, it's wild how, how it played out, but, uh, yeah, it was a incredible shot and, you know, I'm, I'm happy for James, you know, that's, it's, you know, he had a lot to prove this year, especially with his manufacturer switch and all mm-hmm. that stuff to where I, <laughs> I actually sent him a message, um, and looked back that at some messages that I sent him, you know, because I did switch manufacturers in 2019 and he did in 2020. So, or 2021, mm-hmm. 20, I don't know, whatever the years we're in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just sent him a message and just said like, you got to forget everything you've ever learned before because it's only going to hurt you. And, and it kind of, you know, he kind of was just thankful for that. And I don't know if it played any part in this event, but you know, just to know that, that he was able to do this first year was, was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So, James throws that shot, it goes in, and then in your head, okay, we're going to a playoff. Because at this point, you are there any thoughts that you're running that after your second shot, are you running your upshot at all? Well, I put my my layup, my first layup, pretty much right where I wanted to a spot where I knew I'm just going to hyzer the hyzer my zone right up there and have at most 20 feet. Um, so I didn't have any doubt that that, that shot wasn't going to happen uh, or it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, definitely the, the fun thought of like, wow, I could follow that up and throw it in myself, but, yeah. but I knew a par would, would keep me in it to where if mm-hmm. I tried to throw it in and did something stupid, it, it wouldn't have, uh, looked too good. So yeah. just went with the smart play and, and put it under the basket and took, took the par and went to the playoff. Um, you know, it's kind of, I wasn't thrilled that it went straight to an Island hole because I kind of was going to take away any drama and any safety. It was kind of just yep. like, all right, if someone misses it, it's over. So that's that's kind of where I was just about to get at. There were two different questions that I had. Um, your 2014 World Championships, when yeah. you went into a playoff against Ricky, yep. did you guys start on hole one? How did that work? Yeah, well, 18 ended right next to one, so we went and started on hole one. Uh-huh. And then we were just going to play the whole course through until – we had a winner. So I'm curious what people in the chat or even people listening to this post, what would you guys rather go to an Island hole like they did at the world championships or back in 2014, they go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and just play the course until it's over. Well, even I think USDGC, we started on 18, then went one, 17, 18, one, 17 until there was a winner. Yeah. Yep. So it started with a par four. Okay. While gotcha. people, while okay. people are getting back on that, they're going to give their answers there. Before we move right into that playoff conversation, because that, that's a whole topic as well. Um, some of us have seen the camera reaction. Jomez had a few uh, live coverage, had a little bit. Can you tell us in that moment when the disc hit the chains, like, was there confusion? Was there, like, awestruck? What was the, what were your immediate feelings when you saw that disc going? Disbelief? Like, what? how would you describe it? Well, I didn't actually see it really go in. Like you couldn't hear the chains or anything because people were screaming before it was even in, you know, like go in and stuff like that. So uh, from where I was, I I didn't actually see it go in uh, because he was still a little bit around the corner. Uh, and when I heard the, the screams, I looked over to James and his arms were up and I was like, there's no way that just went in. Like I knew there was a chance, you know, because he threw it high enough, but I thought he actually threw it way long. Um and, uh, yeah, he just, it, it, it was incredible to see, 
you know, it, su- it sucks that I was the one that lost to it. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's better for the sport, you know, seeing how much it's especially blown up on social media. But, uh, yeah, it was an incredible shot. And I was just, you know, my, my jaw dropped like everyone else's. Yeah. And so as follow up, you actually just led right into this question. You said it sucks to be on the losing end of it. Um, some are calling this one of the most clutch moments across and they're not even limiting it. Some people to all, all they're saying all sports, not even limiting to just disc golf. It depends on how you classify the moment and the, the pressure. Obviously you yourself yeah. have said in your Instagram post, greatest shot in disc golf history. Can you tell me how, how does it feel losing to a shot or losing to a shot like this? Meaning like, does it feel different? As you said a minute ago, it was kind of taken away as opposed to you losing it. Like what's the difference in the feels from all of your losses? Well, I know I didn't, I didn't lose to the shot, you know, I lost in the playoff, but that was, you know, it was something that I felt like I I'm winning this tournament, especially after his two shots before that one, you know, went in. So, um, yeah, I don't think I lost to the shot, but it was just, it, I mean, it's, it's history in, in disc golf and yeah, it could be one of the greatest sports or the greatest moment in, greatest moment in sports history. Um, you know, given the, the circumstances where it was at, what, what happened prior to that, you know, we birdied four or five in a row before that and just him and I back and forth. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it was a big shot and it was, uh, did you ask how, like the losing part? (laughs) Generally it was just like, yeah, I did say to that shot you lost, but I guess generally the whole feeling surrounding this, you walked away from the day Mm -hmm. knowing that you didn't win yeah. Is it a different feeling than you've experienced before because of how it went down? Well, yeah, this one definitely hurt the most out of out of any of them because I did feel like, you know, I was too I was less than 200 feet away from winning the world world championship and I mean, if you even look at after my drive, I was in the perfect position to win, but how it went down, I wasn't even given a chance to try to win it, you know. He threw his bad second shot to where I'm like, all right, I just won. He's he's got to throw around this mandatory tree and carry it all the way over. And we're at elevation, so turnover is not an easy shot. Like that's that's probably the hardest shot to throw out there is that big turnover because every disc you have wants to flex out so much faster. So it was uh yeah, I just didn't feel like I had an opportunity to win it after after I'd laid up to where normally I feel like, you know, he throws a better upshot, he throws a better drive. I still have a chance to win it and solidify it and get up and down for a birdie. But, uh, this one, I mean, I'm pretty much helpless. <laughs> like I couldn't do anything else. It's yeah. It's still kind of like I replaying it in my head in such a crazy moment that happened. Um, but I guess kind of going into it after that shot, now you're on, you walk up to hole 16, there's, you know, a couple minutes break. You guys have to check scores and everything like that. And then one of the guys announcing everyone's names tells everyone in the crowd, we have a playoff. And in that moment, I like everyone is just kind of like rush to 16, get to 16, get the best view of everything. And now you got over a thousand people easily just rushing over to 16. You and James are walking up in this situation. And I think you teed first in the 2014 playoff, right? You were the first one to tee every single time. Well, I had the hot round. Yeah. So that's what I mean. So now you're, stepping up to hole 16 in this playoff, would you have preferred to throw first? Like, where is the mindset of you right now? Well, in that moment, and what I think I took away from from it the most is that, you know, I feel like, all right, 
I kind of put James in the driver's seat. Basically, I let James depict what was going to happen to where I knew like I should have just stepped up to that and been like, I've been throwing all my shots great. I didn't make a mistake on 18. I, I laid it up perfectly. I threw my second, my third shot perfectly, made the putt right on the pole, and every hole prior to that was pretty much ideal. And then, um, you know, I kind of just let some doubt into my head to where, all right, James just put on the island. I need to match him to where I didn't have to match him at all. Like I had been putting that pressure on James and everyone else the whole time mm -hmm. to where I just needed to continue to, to play how I was that round. Um, and I just kind of turned it into a match play, which I shouldn't have done that. I felt like I had to do better than what he just did. And mm -hmm. I just, I just juiced it too much, uh, to where I just really needed to put on the Island and, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the only mistake I feel like I really made there. And, and I just need to know that in the future to where if I'm ever in that situation, I, I need to just keep playing how I was and not try to change anything to where I think if we went, went like to 16, immediately after the round it might have been a little different but once we had the break and stuff mm -hmm. it was only like 10 minutes but still enough to like just get out of that mindset of what like you know how the round was going before that i had time to think about that shot and what 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 am i going to do like i don't know i just felt like there was too much time in between um that and, and restarting and then on top of it being the island hole to where mm -hmm. kind of took away any kind of drama or or uh I guess, uh, you know, if we were playing a par four, you can actually redeem a bad shot at least a mm -hmm. little bit and try to make a miracle happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, what's crazy is people going into checking out the stats and everything like this, you had birdied the hole all three times that you played the hole. Yeah, The, island. the only person who did better in the tournament at that hole was, was James Conrad because in round, uh, for you guys, it would have been round two yep. when you played the fort. James had actually aced that hole. Um, so he played the hole pretty much better than perfection yeah when, and, I, when he aced it i was standing on 18 right where i was when i won the or where not when i won when i laid up mm -hmm. so he actually aced it when i was standing in that exact spot on 18 day two holy yeah chills <laughs> so that uh, as I'm speaking here, I'm sorry, we have a lot going on. James Conrad actually just sent me a text message and I'm like, wow, okay. So we've got this going live and James is texting me. So, okay. Back to this though. Is there anything you, you practiced during hole 16? Like Nick says, you birdied every single round. You practiced that shot. Had you ever practiced a backhand with maybe a putter or it, did you just determine obviously your highest percentage shot was with that forehand? Well, yeah, I think the highest percentage is, is with the forehand one because you're throwing an overstable disc, so it's not going to get affected by the wind too much. Um, and when you throw the backhand, you, you bring that tree into play. You know, with the forehand, if you hit the trees, it was going to be long anyways. It was going to be in the water to where you kind of had to throw it perfectly. And, and James, if he threw a forehand, he probably would have thrown a forehand there. Um, but, uh, yeah, one funny thing about that, that course and that hole actually is for some reason – they put their turf pads in backwards mm -hmm. to where you're throwing with the grain instead of against it. And, and, um, I just had a, a slight slip there and I just juiced it, you know, realizing I'm, I'm slipping a little bit. I'm going to lose some power and just, just juiced it more than I had previous rounds to where, when I saw it on video, I, I it could have had a chance to stop, but you know, I, I needed to land it about 10, 10 feet shorter mm -hmm. of where it hit. Um, 
but no, no, as far as the backhand, I threw it once, but the forehand was just a lot easier uh, for me. All right. That's in my opinion, that's a lot of the questions that people had. I'm trying to look and see um, if anything else is coming in here in the chats that, you know, I don't want to say is worth asking, but we asked you a lot already about your performance. Is there anything that we missed that you think was important to how the performance went down? Like that we haven't talked about that. You're like, that's actually a big deal. Um, <laughs> nothing in a positive light. You know, I think, I think you guys might have already talked about it. No, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to listen before, but uh, you know, just this world was kind of lackluster in a lot of ways. You know, I, I think James, James definitely, uh, well, James and I, I guess I should say, we, we definitely, well, there was a lot of players, but we brought a lot of excitement playing this Worlds. But I don't think there's a single person that would have been like, yeah, let's go back to Utah and play Worlds uh, because these courses were just kind of, eh. Okay. That's yeah. funny you say that because that was actually going to be my next question. And I think it's funny to say, but the woes of worlds instantly mm. was forgotten when Conrad threw his shot. Yeah. In. Um, yeah. It's actually incredible because you're not wrong. Obviously the way it was playing out mm. leading up to the event and through a portion of the event was significant feedback and pushback to the PDGA. Yeah. Um, you remain pretty silent on that across social media, at least. Um mm -hmm other pros announced their issues. Did you have issues or were you purposely remaining quiet because you were just trying to be so focused? No, I, I was purposely being quiet about it because the reasons were, you know, this is the first world title that a lot of disc golfers and fans of disc golf are going to see. It's the first one, you know, the explosion happened during COVID and we didn't have a world championship during that. So I knew that there's going to be a lot of new people watching this is their world championship and I don't want it to be spoiled with drama and filled with drama, especially coming from, from me, uh, you know, and, and using, you know, my kind of platform that I do have in doing so. So I just wanted them to be able to watch the disc golf and enjoy it and keep the, the drama at least, or, you know, the negative negativity at least after the event, you know, and not during it and spoil it. So I did keep quiet for that. And, and, you know, when people would ask like, why aren't you talking about this? It's more like I wanted to earn my stage to do it, you know, and I was a couple of shots away from doing that. Um, but you know, it, I did keep quiet intentionally. Uh, and I did send my event feedback to the PDGA and, or whoever it goes to. Um, and, and I got a response from them already, but just kind of, didn't want to put that out there because I knew it was, you know, the first for so many. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's really respectful. Yeah. I think, um, one of the things is there were, there were issues surrounding this world. Um, a majority of players, like you said, definitely had issues with different parts of it. And I kind of liked your stance on as in, you know, you didn't want to let people know about it during the tournament because that, you know, creates unnecessary drama in a sense, like you said, with the platform that you have. But then at the same time, being able to earn that stage, had you won the tournament, then it kind of gives you this big platform. I can go out now afterwards. I can talk about it. But the thing is that there's going to be so many people. The fact that, you know, you ended up not winning the tournament. If you go and talk about it, people are going to say, well, he's just whining about, you know, this, this, this and that. And that's why he lost world championships when it's really um, coming from someone who, obviously was not in contention nearly to win the world championships, but could notice the feelings that a lot of pros were having. And um, I think one of the biggest issues that I had with it was the inconsistency on tee pads. Um, like you were just saying 16 and 17, both had turf tee pads put in that were backwards. 
Um, Avery Jenkins, who does all the course designing with Disc Golf Park, had even said, and they use turf tee pads. He said, look, this is wrong. This is not how they're supposed to be made. Yeah. And so there are multiple people dealing with that. And then now we jump over to, let's say, hole 18 at Mulligan's. It's a short shot, but the tee pad, if, you know, for people who are watching, the tee pad is just straight uphill. Like it's not, it's not consistent and well, it's my, not up to a standard that should be at the world championships. My favorite one is a uh, hole 18 at, at a uh, fort. Yeah. It's literally three, like driving range golf tees like the little turf squares put together really bad ones like really yeah. old and moldy ones put together and they were just like sponges yeah it was awful can i uh, ask, it's definitely something that go ahead matt yeah there's there was a lot surrounding this and i don't know how much you want to get into any of it but like i have two i have two of the significant issues obviously there was ob lines and all that i think my first question it can be a yes or no or you can elaborate is it normal for a course location, or let's just make it even more specific, a major, a PDGA major, to have a warm-up location that actually extends to full throws into a field? Is that normal? Well, I guess I, I shouldn't say normal, but if they have a driving range, then yeah, it's normal. Like okay. if they have a driving range or if they have an area, like someone brought up, I think it might have been the PDJ. They're like, you know, MVP doesn't have one or Ledgestone or what was the other? Some other memorial, Fountain Hills. And I'm like, well, Fountain Hills has a golf or like two soccer fields, three soccer fields, like two minutes from it. That's where everyone warms up. MVP has a course right across the street that everyone warms up at. You know, Ledgestone has another course or, you know, a huge field across the street from the course that we play. So it was like, who says that? <laughs> you know, I was just, it just, it just blew me away that they said that and I put it in an old two world article. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is kind of normal to have some of it. And, and when you reserve the driving range, the way that they did, we weren't even allowed because the golfers were still hitting golf balls on the driving range. So they're like, yeah, you can throw into the net of the golf range and you can put near the tee area, but you can't actually throw your disc or air it out. Is the words yeah. that they used so it was just mm. it was wild and then the fort didn't even have like they had like a super small course and they had some i guess some baseball fields over there um that could have been used but i just went to the golf course every day and mm -hmm. once they paid for the the driving range i just warmed up there because it was less than 15 minutes from the, the actual course did you end yeah. up using the driving range for your warm-ups did you end up using the full driving range you yourself yeah i, I mean i used it each day um, except for the final day, cause we weren't at Mulligan. So it was just a golf driving range at that point. So mm -hmm. the final day I had to go find a random field to go throw in. Um, but yeah, the first four days I, I used the driving range. Cool. Yeah, it was definitely, um, I would say issue after issue coming up with the PDGA and the PDGA kind of being silent on a lot of these issues that were happening, but not really to kind of like, you know, we said kind of early on, we don't want to be like a TMZ acting podcast right now. We don't want to just bash everything that's going on with it. An incredible thing happened at the world championships. We really can't take that away. But at the same time, there needs to be more of a standard set up when vetting events, vetting courses and everything like that. And there has to be like the people in the PDGA who are the ones kind of like checking out these events and everything like that. You got to think of it like you're the actual pro disc golfer that's on these events, because if any one of them kind of, I would say had a clue 
at what playing at that level is like, they would have noticed that, look, this is really wrong in a lot of different ways. And Well, I mean, not even the players, too. Like at Mulligans, I felt bad for the fans because, one, it was like 100 degrees, and two, there was only two bathrooms on the entire course. Like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine being a spectator walking around and just, you know, staying hydrated and having to use the bathroom one time, and you just got to leave the whole course to go to the bathroom because mm-hmm. there's just two on the, the thing. So you just miss a bunch of action. So it kind of was like, I don't know. It's it seemed like I felt bad for a lot of the fans too, because even at the fort, they weren't allowed at a lot of the holes. Yeah. So, man, there's so much. There was so much surrounding this, and I, I appreciate your time so much. So, let me. There's this is kind of a two partish question. So, if I remember correctly, there was a time, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Correct me if I'm wrong. You boycotted the PDGA. I think it was. And, and maybe not like a verbal way, but Green Mountain Championships, I think it had to do with some disciplinary actions for players or something, and you withdrew from an event. Um, do you feel like a scenario or the way that Worlds was unfolding in your eyes would be another situation, or is it a tide to turn where you would do that again? Um, well, I think there's some conversations being had with some people about something, not not necessarily boycotting it, but just being like, these things need to change or like, this things aren't going to grow, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but yeah, there was, there was a, a thing that happened like that at smugglers notch for the GMC, but luckily got figured out prior to the event starting. Um, but I could, I could definitely see this being as a, either a wake up call for the PDGA or some things are going to happen to where players and events move on from, you know, possibly the PDGA because clearly people watch tournaments because of the, you know, they're either fans of disc golf, love the courses, love the coverage, but I can tell you they're not watching because it's a PDJ event. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think one of the things that we can say on top of that is we said this earlier, shout out to the disc golf network and the guys and the girls going out and commentating every single day, running the camera crews and everything like that. And I kind of want to thank their fearless leader in Jeff Spring, who's the CEO of the disc golf pro tour. What that guy does for the professional players on tour, he goes above and beyond any chance that he can get any opinions that are voiced against what's happening at an event. Jeff spring almost immediately is there to answer and there to help out in any way he can. So for the disc golf pro tour, the disc golf network and all of them professional players appreciate you. The fans appreciate you with everything that you're doing. And like Paul just said, we're not watching it because we want to see what they rated at the end of the round. We're watching live to see what spectacular spectacular things can happen in this tournament. Yeah, um, and I think that is some sort of area that, you know, is potential the pro tour. Do do they split away from the PDGA and kind of run their own thing? Like what what are we gaining from the PDGA? And I, I can take this. This is my own personal opinion. Say, I'm, I'm not getting in on this. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> saying this is my own per- this is my own personal opinion. But I think the PDGA hurt the world this year more than helped it. And uh, that's that's so, what I'll say about that. Let me ask this way. Let me ask it this way. What in your do you have any positive ideas, Paul, as an, a huge, the biggest face ambassador for the sport? What practical steps do you think could be taken so that player's standard and ex- expectations are met? Let's say at least ninety nine percent of the time. Do you have any thoughts how this can get better for the future? Meaning, like, is they've hired recently someone for the ground, right? And events. I don't want to call him coordinator, but like. Is there like some checklist they can go through? Is it that simple? Do you have any like thoughts that could help with this? Well, I mean, from what I heard just about like worlds is they would award bids before they ever saw courses. Like that's, 
that's mind blowing to me. Like, how are you going to award a bid to some city that might not even have a course, but they say they ha- they're going to have a course and they say it's going to be good. Like, just knowing that, like that, that blew my mind. Um, so I think there's <laughs> a lot of things that they can do. Just this is just for worlds, but a lot of things that they could do better that'll make the events better for players, spectators, and just, you know, overall coverage of disc golf. So I'm sure they're going to get to the drawing boards or I hope they get to the drawing boards soon on it because we already know where world is going to be next year, but the bid probably for 2023 is probably coming up here soon. So um, hopefully they can, they can get working on that quick and, and, and I don't know how much control the PDJ has over the world championships because they own that title. So they could um, be fully in charge of it for all I know. And it's just a host club that sets up the course and stuff like that. But, but there needs to be something that's, that's more in control. Either they need to take it over or let someone else be in control of that because it was a mess. Yeah. Okay. All of that being said though, (laughs) all of that being (laughs) said, I do want to end on thank you to you as the consummate professional. You are tremendous show. I, my opinion here only matters as much as the other fans opinions, but I thought you did enough and a miracle shot happened. And it was, do you view it as a win for the sport? Maybe not for you in this case, but like a win for the sport, which, which in turn could be a win for you and, and you know, your brand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think even 2020, I, I would say like in my press conference that that, that was a world title for the sport of disc golf. You know, we didn't have one as players, but, but the sport won the world title in 2020. And, and I think this is, you know, it's a world title for James, but it's also bigger than James at the same time. You know, he threw the shot, but but the impact that this shot has is going to be bigger than James Conrad, which is which is great. Um, so uh, I know even if he hit that shot, I still could have won Worlds, and he still could have gotten all this publicity and stuff like that. So um, as far as myself, I know if a moment like that ever happens, I still have a chance to win. I need to carry that forward. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, the the world championship this year was was incredible on the competition side and uh yeah, James for now has the greatest shot in disc golf history. <laughs> Ooh, I liked I like that. Yeah. Nick. The greatest shot in disc golf history. Oh, oh for now, uh, for now. Yeah. Yeah, for now. I mean, something else could potentially happen. Who knows? A 244 foot throw in at the world championships <laughs> could happen and then there you go. There's the greatest one now. Um no, anyways, Paul, we really appreciate you coming down actually live in studio. I know I appreciate that a ton. And uh, we wish you the best of luck, obviously, in your future tournaments and everything like that. But we'll let you get back. You got a little bit more daylight. You know, go enjoy your car for a little bit. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, take care and check out the PaulMcBethFoundation.org if you can help. It's much appreciated. <laughs> Be on the lookout for those new shirts that he's wearing, the new hat and everything like that. You can also support it by buying some beef jerky. I'll tell you this, (laughs) this barbecue one is absolutely delicious. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, everybody. I love love beef for you. That was obviously Paul Macbeth, and now we're going to watch our viewer count plummet. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, Stick we around. go from 2K live viewers, to we'll go to Stick like 400. Around. Nick is going to give us his hot takes, and we're going to hit on some of these other topics where it is something of 
I don't I don't know what Nick's going to say about it. He's already throwing me for a loop here. Paul McBeth wanted to back out of the conversation. I just kind of giggled to myself and Nick's like maybe I should <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so here no, we go. I, dude, I I'm happy to voice my opinions <laughs> on this. Uh, so, cuz it it was a it was a very it was a very frustrating uh, it took a lot out of the world championships. And I'll say that in the sense of like I had personal goals of mine going into the world championships. Obviously, I wasn't going to win. So at the same time, though, I am a player playing at this event, and you kind of expect the certain standard of a prestigious event, um, being that it is the PDJ World Championships and being that they were able to work on it for the last two years, knowing that, hey, this is where it's happening. Let's do everything we can to make this an incredible event. Um, and I really do think that the PDGA dropped the ball on that. And I think I, I will never, ever shame the volunteers who came out and supported any of the spotters that were at both courses, any of the people driving around water. It was over 100 degrees almost every single day. Um, I, I will never bash on the people who volunteered their personal time to help out an event. You guys really did make the event for what it was in a better form. Uh, but for the people that were running the event, the PDGA, even potentially the tournament director and the tournament director staff, um, they did drop the ball on it. And my biggest gripe with the tournament was after two rounds of play, one round at Mulligan's, one round at the fort. Hold on. Hold on. We're going to te- just tease that because we are going to get to that. But right yeah. before that and before we lose all of our viewers right now. <laughs> yes, yeah. James Conrad did text me. And he says, yes, he's down for the show. So all of our viewers right now, check back at our next show. We are going to have James Conrad. It looks like I can't make a promise, but I do have a text confirming that he's in. Okay. And we're, we're also going to shoot for Katrina Allen as well. So we'll kind of have this massive episode. Right. Um, um, and I'm saying that jokingly, obviously, that hey, everyone's going to leave. But, you know, yeah, we got yeah. some people. They're chanting for Conrad. Yeah. I see them in the chats. Conrad, Conrad. Yeah. We love yeah, James exactly. Conrad. Incredible. I watched him win at MVP. You know, that mm-hmm. was another time he he had a win mm-hmm. slash over Paul McBeth. Um, anyways, Nick, the interview that we just had with Paul, there was a lot of insightful takeaways, uh, things that maybe nobody's heard before. Uh, just his perspective on things. And I definitely want to hash out a little bit of that. Um, And so some of that is including, I kind of fed it out there. Is it time to boycott the PDGA? And his response was kind of like, he thinks this is my, what I took back. He said, he thinks that maybe stuff right now is in the works. And that was a big enough wake up call where it sounds to me like he's saying like, no, like it's not the time yet. That's probably a big wake up call. And he, I, I assume he's expecting to see better going forward. Yeah. But. Well, I think kind of in conversation to that, the PDGA right now has a monopoly over all the players in the sense of they're the one that the tours play for the PDGA in a sense, the disc golf pro tour is, you know, with the PDGA, they're all PDGA sanctioned events. Same thing with the national tour, the majors, your local A, B, and C tiers. They're all sponsored or a part of the PDGA. So until there is a tour that is financially substantial, then players will continue to play these PDGA events. It, it, it will not get to a point to where players are just flat out not playing it until a tour starts up or switches over to being its own thing. The PDGA is not involved. I mean, for the pros, what is the PDGA kind of helping out in the pro sense of it? All they are is getting a rating, which a majority of the professional players 
they really don't care about the rating. You know, it's yeah. kind of hit a point to where the ratings talk in and of itself. I think slowly we're going to move out of really caring about the ratings. And um, sorry, my phone yeah, is like it's, Well, and we've said this a million times. <laughs> yep. I'll say it one more time. Yes, I don't think the top level pro should be caring about it. As someone who talks disc golf, it helps me evaluate how yes. a performance can be compared in general because you can't compare across events a new player yeah. coming in i have zero idea it helps me with comparison but yes you're not wrong about ratings now before we move on i i want to get a little something off my chest i guess <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. as a fan and this is the interesting thing nick from your perspective and my perspective and i value your perspective but coming up leading into worlds seeing so much social media negative talk about the pdga world championships it kind of made me feel sick inside because this was an event i was looking so forward to now you can say well matt mm -hmm. okay it made you feel sick inside it's the reality of what it is but i want to go back to what paul just said he was staying quiet to not to try and not detract from what the world championships could be there was first time world championship uh, competitors mm -hmm. um obviously yep. the staff everything he was remaining quiet i wish this is my opinion and I would love, you know, feedback on it. And cause I'm not saying I'm right. I wish though, obviously utopia, nothing had an issue, but I also wish players that had an issue would have done what Paul did because here's the reality. What happened, all this drama, this pressure. And then all of a sudden PDGA goes out and makes a bad decision to paint the lines mid tournament, like because of the player's yep. pressure. Now had the players yep. just waited because they didn't want it changed mid tournament either. But had they no, just see, waited until the, the thing, end and then they said, let's file a complaint formally. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that people were complaining about it seven days in advance, the okay. tournament even starting. Okay. So that's where a lot of, a lot of what happened with the players and I, I'm not going to get into like who said what, or how many people did this, how many people said that. Um, but a majority of the players, let's say, let's talk about the bunkers really quick. The bunkers didn't have the greatest defined lines. And so we saw that at Utah Open to where there was a discussion that caused the backup, I think, over what happened with Nico's throw. Um, maybe he was on the final card and there wasn't an, a uh, backup because of it. But if that happens on any other card, now you cause an unnecessary backup. So I think what needed to happen was either string, which was the disc golf pro tours idea. So just string the whole bunker or paint around it and keep it pretty close. Now, players had been complaining about that over a week before the world champ. They were complaining about it at the Utah open, which was two weeks before the world championships. So there was ample amount of time mm -hmm. for the staff to go out there and for the PD PDGA to realize, Hey, this actually is kind of an issue. We should probably do this. Like they painted, they painted off a casual relief area before they even thought about painting off OB areas, which when it comes to sand bunkers, if the course, if, the Mulligans golf course itself. Why didn't they do it? Golf course. Why, why didn't they huh? put out the, why didn't they put out the paint or the, the rope lines? Like, why didn't they do it? Does anybody know that? Yeah. Because Mulligans, the actual golf course did not want that all over their course, which not going to lie. It makes complete sense. Why would I want someone taking my property and painting all over it? Now that stays there. And now your golf course has a bad look to it. Here. So that's where the yeah. PGA needs to go to places that actually cares about the disc golfers. And there's, I'm going to get heated tonight just talking about <laughs> any of this. So but, let me um, follow it up. I'll kind of lead this conversation because you're bringing valuable yeah. insight, things that I yeah, hadn't yeah. even heard. Um, yep. Or maybe I peruse, you know, through social media, but who knows what you can believe nowadays. Yeah. But I guess yeah, just, I know, to, right. just to bring it back a little bit again is 
during the world championships, people saying this is the worst thing ever. Da da da. Uh, the governing body sucks. Da da da. Like during the world championships. And then you look and see that they're sitting in 50th place or 100th place. You start questioning. You're like, mm-hmm. why isn't Paul McBeth doing this? And mm-hmm. kudos to Paul McBeth. I'll say it one more time. During the event, he probably said some stuff leading up to the event. And I'm sure he said some stuff privately. But like, and I'm seeing comments come in, Nick, that are saying and it's a valuable point. Sometimes the private conversations aren't enough. And I actually fully buy into yeah. that. Sometimes we do need to take this to the public, the pressure, players yes. union, whatever it is. But was it the time? Was it the time? Is it the time? It happened, obviously. I'm not going to second guess yeah. it now. But like, um, do you think I, it was the time? I, 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 no, I truly believe the way Paul handled it in the sense of when it comes from Paul's mouth or Ricky's mouth or let's say Eagle's mouth, um, it weighs that much more coming from them. Let's say them three. Uh, but Paul had the perfect answer to that in the sense of he wanted to earn the platform to be able to complain about it because had he complained mid-tournament and then lost, people would say, oh, well, you're just complaining the whole time. Like, it was never in your mindset to even win because of how trash everything is, yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden it's just, oh, well, Paul's just making excuses or, oh, just the Eagles making excuses. Um, and so I think it was tough because had this been any other tournament, whether it be a, a pro tour, a national tour, um, I think a majority of the players would have said something during the tournament, but one of the reasons that players did stay um, did stay quiet is literally because we're competing for the world championships right. and the explosion in disc golf was massive. And so rather than have all these new fans constantly just read about how crappy of an experience this potentially could have been, it was better to just go out and literally put on the show that did happen. And, and that that literally came from those players that were involved in that, let's say for the, you know, that final card. And then also the camera crews going out and you know what, it's their job to go out there to film two rounds a day and go out and make incredible things happen for us. Yeah. And so I'll kind of wrap up my opinion on like people saying stuff during the event, I guess, am I just getting sick of it? Because we heard it at, and maybe it's because it's the PDGA, right? And I, it is, it is. I, I can't overlook that. We had it at the women's major. That What led all the way up to that event? Just negativity, negativity, negativity. Yep. Led, leading up to Worlds yep. here the days prior and during, negativity, negativity, negativity. Like, yep. as a fan, I'm not even a player, and you're on the, you do the pro tour here and there, and you performed well at Worlds. As a fan, I'm getting sick of it. I'm like, it almost makes me want to be like, like PDGA you're making me mad because now all these players just keep complaining about you. Like if the the players didn't complain, the fans wouldn't know. And that's not necessarily a good thing. That's the question I was going to ask you. Are you upset at the players complaining? Are you upset at the PDGA not doing the right thing? That's where it all comes down to is because we do constantly see it, whether it's, you know, LeBron James doing something or Tiger Woods doing something. You have these massive athletes and athletes in their respected sports. And when the, the second that they go on, and say, hey, there's an issue here. Everyone just thinks they're complaining to complain. And they don't give them the respect of like, look, this is what, this is their life. You are literally messing. This is what Brody (laughs) said when Eagle made his uh, big post. Yeah. You're messing with these players' livelihood. I do not do this as a livelihood. I'm, you know, not a full-time professional disc golfer. It is something that I'm super, super passionate about. I love this sport. And all I want to see is the sport to grow. I was able to witness the most amazing thing. And like we said, in the potential of sports history, I was 
40 feet away from the basket when it happened. I want to see the right things happen. And if that requires me, you know, maybe getting involved in some sort of a, you know, whether it's a players group or anything like that, like I want to see the sport of disc golf be looked at as a professional sport, but also to be treated by the PDGA as a professional sport. And that's where it kind of sucks because you do have these incredible players. Like I'm sure James Conrad won the world championships, but I can guarantee you that there is something he would have to complain about. Right. But here's throughout the world championships. Right. But here's my, here's my point. You said, am I upset at the players who are complaining and maybe rightfully so meaning they're rightfully complaining or am I actually my, the point of my botheredness or (laughs) being, being annoyed should be at the PDGA. I think the PDGA. Yes. But I also think the bigger conversation wraps around how the players do this. Now, I'm not even saying that's their fault, the players, because there's nothing currently. I know I can't say there's nothing set up. There is a way Paul said he did it. He filed a formal review of the event. You can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess here's what I'm bothered most by. The difference between you said when a player complains, everyone thinks that, you know, they're just doing it for the sake of complaining, whiny, whatever. But when Paul did it and he did it on our show here, or or if he's going to write something up, I would have said, he did it after the event. Like, that's what I'm looking for. Because yeah. here's the reality. Bringing it up before the event isn't going to change it during the event. And when it did, yeah. unfortunately, Nick, it, it, put OB, so, it put OB lines out in the middle yeah. of a tournament. And that's, that's unfortunate, that, too. <laughs> that's kind of what I, I want to get at that as well. Is Yes, Paul was right in doing it after the fact. I completely applaud him for that. And any pros who are also doing that is sharing their feedback on it after the fact of the tournament. Also for players doing it before the tournament started. And that's one of the big things is that a lot of these issues got brought up before the tournament started. There are certain issues that we absolutely had no control over. Like I was talking about T-pads, hole 18 at Mulligans. It's a little bit uphill. It's kind of annoying. The hole is short. I get that. But at the same time, it is a frustrating in the fact of it's not a T-pad that you should have to play at a professional event. But at the same time, I can go there Tuesday before the tournament happens a week before and say, oh, my God, these T-pads absolutely suck. But guess what's probably not going to happen? Any of the T-pads getting changed. So now I have to learn and say, okay, it's slightly uphill. I probably have a better chance of forehanding this hole than I do backhanding because of that. Um, And those were small things that we could live with. We had to live with those. Painted OB lines, though, in the middle of a tournament was something that no player should ever have to deal right. with in the history of them, whether you are 700 rated right. or 7,000 rated. Dude. Like, you should never, ever, ever have to deal with what a majority of the pros dealt with. And I, 100%. So I, brought, I brought this up on Twitter, on the Nick and Macho Twitter, because I was frustrated, believe me. I was very, very upset at what happened because it personally happened to me which was unfortunate but it also happened to a lot of my friends who were out touring and um one of the things was is that they uh excuse me i was saying i went on twitter with it and someone said you can't really complain about that it doesn't drastically change the course and in my head i'm thinking look you have 18 holes at mulligan's golf course to play disc golf it already has water. It already has sand traps and it already has some OB lines, whether it's car path, uh, property lines or anything like triple mandos. We all went to that course pretty early to learn where those OBs were and to not throw by those OBs. Now you can take almost any player in the world. And when they go out and play a practice round, they're sometimes going to play that practice round better than they'll play the whole tournament. And so when you're in your practice round, you're throwing all the shots, you're learning where the OB is and you're learning where to avoid that OB. 
in a tournament though, when you have a constant 15 mile per hour headwind on a hole that's 500 feet and you're trying to carry water for, let's say 250 to 300 of it in a big headwind, you know, your shot doesn't land exactly where it did in practice. And so for me personally, I had a hole, hole seven, I threw my drive and believe me, it wasn't the best drive in the world. I get that. I could have thrown a better shot, but the fact of the matter is that where my shot landed 24 hours prior, it was in bounds. Nick, that's the takeaway is that that's the takeaway and to not be told. So this is, I want to kind of, I'll finish it up here. Yep, I won't yep, make a long yep. story long. You need to tell the players that you went and did that. And I say that in the sense of we're not allowed to play courses during majors. When the tournament starts, the courses are shut down at the end of the day. You are not allowed to play the courses. So I've heard. Um, well, right. So nobody, the I'm point sure is, it, so if no they were told is able to go out and practice these right. new OB lines or I've seen but them. at least tell us, at least tell us yeah. because you know what, Matt, I might have, I probably would have actually, cause I was in that area. I probably would have gone out, rented a golf cart and checked out where these lines were because the day that I saw these new lines, I was horrified about how horrible they were because I had a shot the day that I went OB that was completely surrounded by grass. I had solid footing. I could have taken my meter from the water and had a good upshot. But the OB line was two and a half, three feet away from the water. And that, I'm sorry, is absolutely not right. If you do that before the tournament, though, now I know that if my disc lands yeah. near the edge, I'm probably going to be OB. So I'm going to avoid that even more. But I threw a shot that had a bad <laughs> skip that, to me, I saw no water or anything like that. And I walked up to it and I was OB and it, you know, at the same time, it is what it is. Anyone saying that I'm complaining and that I could have thrown a better shot. You must be the smartest person in the world. Cause you were absolutely right. I could have thrown a better shot, but I didn't and 24 <laughs> hours before that. I would have been inbounds 24 hours after that. I was out of bounds. Let me just say, so, I actually, I get your point. I don't care if you would have been inbounds the day before. What I care about is that a professional competition you were not able to see the OB as marked before your round. So, yeah. but the, the kick in the junk, if I can put it so bluntly like that, is that, yes, yeah. you think of 24 hours before and you're like, I would have been in bounds. But that's not the mm -hmm. issue. It's, it, the issue is that they changed it to where you couldn't see it. Had they changed it, it's still, I don't think it would have been beneficial, the best way to do it. Yeah. But had they changed it, let's say, 12 hours before the next round and they gave everybody the opportunity to walk the course, take a look at it. The, maybe that's different, but I still don't think that's the right way to do it. So leading no, off of that. Um, well, yeah, just really quick into, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, also like they're not stakes. It's a painted line. And so off the T pad, you pretty much cannot see where the painted lines are. And so I obviously didn't have a chance to go walk the whole course and learn where all these new lines were. Um, so off the tee pad, I'm obviously thinking, okay, my shot's good. It's dry. And then the disappointment of the fact when you walk up there, your disc, like I said, could have been in bounds, but it wasn't. It's just, if it was staked, that's a different story. I can see the stakes. I can know what to avoid even more, but it was a thinly painted line because the golf course did not want thick paint going out, you know, and sprayed down pretty heavy. And that's the tough part about it. I guess I'll kind of leave it on that. It was just something that I, I wish upon no player ever. Like I said, whether it's at your local C tier or at the professional world championships, I, I truly hope that unless you know that it's going to happen, I truly hope that no player has to go to a course and completely find it to be a brand new one, especially at the world championships. Cause it does make it a brand new course. 
Yeah, I I do agree with that. So that's unfortunate. Yep. Um, I don't love talking about all the unfortunate things for the sake of it because I would like to make sure that something beneficial is coming out of this. But I will say, for yep. the sake of conversation, these are things that have happened, and that's why we're talking about it. Um, yep, so, exactly. And I, I think it's something that it needs to be talked about. And you know, if we're still over a thousand viewers and we're going to have people listening post, they are people that do want to hear what potentially happened. Yeah. And as a 996 rated guy. I'm a casual professional. I played well at Worlds. I made cash, and that's obviously something I can take away with a happy face. But when you have players like Eagle McMahon who do go out and do this for a living, he had the same thing happen to where 24 hours prior, or for him it would have been 48 hours prior, his shot, where it landed, it might have been pretty much where he wanted and gotten a little bit of a bad skip. It might have been two feet away from where he ideally wanted it, and now it's completely OB because of poor lining. I think, to be honest, if the lines were perfect, I wouldn't be complaining about it. But the fact is, is that they made the lines very bad, like very, very, very poorly done lines in the sense of like, there were some parts where there was three feet of grass and they painted a line three feet away from the water. And it's just like, why wouldn't you just go right up to water's edge? Like every other tournament is, but that's enough on that. <laughs> the chat, it's funny. It's funny. I've come a long way. The chat's complaining. Hopefully I'm, gonna, I'm sure no. I'm getting roasted. No, right now, no, but. they're roasting me for interrupting you. They're enjoying your rants. And I and they're they're now they're getting <laughs> I'll funny. Rants all night, believe yeah. me. No, they're getting funny now. They're like, no, Matt keeps interrupting because he's sick of Nick's complaining. So it's a little <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so baskets people kind of complain about, but that always happens. I'm not even gonna make a full ba topic on that. Baskets always happen. Believe me. Look, if the baskets caught so poorly, James's shot wouldn't have gone in. <laughs> I, I mean they're not, they weren't the worst baskets in the world. Could there have been better ones? Yeah. I'm biased towards chain stars and disc catcher pros. Those are my two favorite baskets. Do I wish every course had those ones? Absolutely. But the baskets, like I didn't have a single time where, you know, I spit out, I didn't cut through the chains at all. And I've just slightly hyzer poppy putt. And, uh, I didn't spit out through the middle at all. I didn't hit the pole. And that's not saying that it didn't happen to anyone. Cause it happened to a lot of people, but baskets is something that I also think needs to be a standard of the PDGA. I think we need to stop like relying on manufacturers as tournament sponsors and having to have their basket on the course because the baskets that we did play on, those veteran baskets, I don't know what Latitude 64 calls theirs, but they're, they're not the best baskets. They, there are plenty of baskets that are better than those. I think the PDGA needs to have a standard like the Disc Golf Pro Tour did early on in its stages, and there is a standard to how baskets are, but I think that standard needs to be upped even more. And like, what, what do we realize now? If we were to take a poll, I'm curious about this. Message us on Instagram or YouTube chat it right now, whatever. What are your top three favorite baskets? And I think the majority vote is going to go from disc catchers, the end of a gold bands. Uh, Chainstar Pros are an incredible basket. And to me personally, I actually, I love mock X's. I know a lot of people are biased against those, but like those would be my two, my three favorite baskets that I like to play on. Um, so, but yeah, people are going to come into the chat about every tournament because yeah. people are going to complain about Chainstar Pros and people are going to complain about mock X's and that the base is too big. It, baskets is something that will always get complained about. <laughs> it deserves to be complained about, but I know one of the topics we're going to bring up is the Adam Hammes spit out. I was just going to say, Nick. Paige Pierce had a couple bad spit outs that were a little high that hit the pole, came out, but the Adam Hammes one, he putted it. You could argue the fact, I, I love Adam. He's a very, very good friend of mine, so I'm not trashing him at all. He's a much better putter than I am as well. His putt was a little high. He does putt the disc pretty hard. What happened was it hit the pole. 
it came out and out of frustration, he went over and kind of slammed the disc into the basket and it popped out. I mean, watch 2015 St. Jude coverage and you can watch Simon Lazat do the exact same thing on a mock X. It wasn't <laughs> the basket. It was the person going, slamming their disc into the chains right. or the basket itself and having it pop out. But it's do just- you feel like, and that was just the example, the, the shining example when everyone looked at it, it was like, Oh no. Yeah. What like, I, I he felt think- he was upset at the basket because his putt came out. And meaning I think he was yeah. taking it out on the basket, but, but that's, that's the side story to the point that baskets people were yeah. bringing up baskets. Okay. So he, he had a hard putt. It was a bad spit out. Believe me. I think that putt 99% of the time deserves to go in, but it was his fault afterwards going up and slamming yeah. the disc into the basket. That, that is not the basket's fault at all on what he did afterwards. Oh, what he did afterwards. Of course not. Yeah. Exactly. And unfortunately for him, lesson learned and you could see it in his face and I wish nothing but the best for him all right moving on a little bit still negative tone here there was so much to cover what are we complaining about next I'm ready well (laughs) yeah unfortunately um I don't know if I guess I'm gonna say his name president of the PDGA board Justin Minichelli (laughs) okay I I'm like over here. Like I'm just going to start crying. Here's what I am. Okay. It adds insult to injury or salt on a wound or gas on a fire. During the world championships, the PDGA president of the board uses wording to imply that a professional touring professional who is trying to help an event. Now, I am not totally naive to say that there can be all different motives for any player to do anything they want, including Paul Macbeth. Mm -hmm. Timing Mm -hmm. is everything. Brand matters. All of that. I'm not diving into that right now. On the surface, somebody spent their own money to open up a driving range. And the PDGA, as a brand themselves, goes on a public disc golf forum of podcast and just airs out their actual opinion, which it's kind of cool. <laughs> you got to see the actual opinion of the PDGA president yeah. of the board. You, you got to, he wasn't filtering it. And if he was, then it's crazier, but he says that he thinks it was a jerk move. And I, and I'll just say it was on, on the behalf of Brody Smith and him opening yeah. and paying and renting out the driving range. Now, not only does they do that, that's the clip that Brody shared. He goes yeah. on then to say, and this is a little bit later. I don't know who else listened to the whole thing. I started listening to it. It's, it's tough listening. I listened I'm not to it as lie. much as I could. I'm not going to lie. It's it a was tough very, listen. very awful. And he to says this. Yeah. He goes on to say this. He's speaking about the growth of the PDGA, awesome growth, and the misconceptions disc golfers have about the PDGA board and how it's functioning. Okay. And I agree with him. People have all these misunderstandings about how the PDGA operates, okay? Nonprofit, there's a board. They have to vote on things together. It's not one person leading the ship. But Mm -hmm. he goes to say this. With 80,000 members, some of them are going to be assholes. That's just what happens. Now, you take that in a vacuum, and you say to yourself, Okay, like I can see what he means. I mean, 80,000 people, that's just like there's going to be a a bad egg, right? Or whatever. Like, yes, but you are the president of the PDGA board. Of the board board. of directors. Like, you're the president. You you can't, 
like my wife overheard that. She's not even a disc golfer. Yeah, she has all these boys at home who disc golf. I love disc golf. I talk that she goes, he needs to learn how to like, <laughs> he needs to learn how to talk. You can't do that. Yeah. Like, and then he goes on to say it was a kind of a jerk move by Brody. And that's the other saying. That's a major PR debacle. It wouldn't happen with the disc golf yeah. pro tour, but apparently the PDGA, it's happening. I support the PDGA fully, and I'm on my rant now, Nick. I'll let you talk in a second. I yeah. support them fully. But as a member, I'm also here to say, like, come on, do better. Nick and I yeah. have our opinions on things, and sometimes we have inside scoops on things. We don't, we're, I'm pretty transparent. I say what I think pretty often. But like, there are even things that we know we have to hold back on because the Nick and Matt show brand matters. I, I say yeah. matters. I mean, it matters to us. So th that's my rant on that, Nick. I don't know if you have anything there. Paul's saying hopefully yeah, things are going to get better. Uh, I'll kind of give you my, a lot of this. So a lot of this comes from the personal experience of what happened. Like I, I was actually there. Like that morning I found out I, I can't warm up. And like my plan was to go to Mulligan's every single day and warm up my drives and get my back stretched out and everything like that at Mulligan's. And then the morning of the tournament, I found out, oh, by the way, we're not allowed to go warm up there. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what's the point? And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, golfers are using half the range to practice irons. And we're allowed to use a putting area and a driving net. And it was kind of just like, oh, my God, this what what an absolute joke. I was already pissed off that we had to pay for rounds every single day. And it wasn't just for the day. It was per round you had to pay. Um, to practice for the world championships. You know, I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but um, <laughs> That's all of a sudden, pile it on, Nick. All the, yeah, all of a sudden we weren't allowed to even warm up at, and I quote, the PDGA world championships. And I'm kind of just sitting there. I was like, there's no way the PDGA is this dumb. There's absolutely no way. There's no way that the tournament director, the assistant tournament director, there's no way that they did not think that this was going to be an issue. Like there's just no way that none of them thought, oh, that yeah, the players we have this wide open driving range. They you know what they don't need to warm up like that. They don't need to throw drives or anything like that to go play a golf course. Um, I just couldn't fathom that that was actually a thing. And so uh, I walked into Paul's room. We were staying at the same Airbnb, and I was like, hey, did you read this? Like just a heads up, you're gonna have to find a different field to go warm up at. And because I, I was thinking the same thing, I had to find somewhere to potentially warm up. And uh, I'm so I'm driving to the course. I'm driving through the mountains. I get a text from Paul and he goes, Brody just paid for the other half of the driving range. So now players are able to throw legitimate drives. He paid it. So no golfers could enter that area and hit any golf balls. And I was like, wow. Like I texted Brody right away. And I said, big move, dude, absolutely incredible. Like, you know, that was a very, very, very good thing of him to do. Um, I, a lot of players, said, Hey, what's your Venmo? Like, like, let me help you out with that. And I, I give all the kudos in the world to Brody for just going in there and be like, well, how much is it going to cost a thousand bucks? Okay. And so when Brody had posted it saying all it took was a thousand dollars, he wasn't saying it as in the sense of like, Oh yeah, I just have casually a thousand dollars laying around. I can go do that. He was saying that it was only a thousand bucks for a company that's making million dollars, millions of dollars a year on memberships, players' fees, and everything like that. Like, the, the PDJ is not struggling for money. They just somehow completely overlooked the fact that players would actually want to warm up and to rent out the driving range. And 
I don't know. That's kind of my take on that. I, I give all the kudos in the world to, to Brody. I know a majority of the players also said that there were a few notables, notables, weird Simon, yeah. Simon Lazat, we- notable, obviously, and, and others, yeah. including on the FPO side, thanking him for what he did. Now, yeah. like, here's the thing. I said this already. The PDGA can have their opinion. They should have an internal opinion. Yes. But they need to have an also public response, a PR opinion where it's like, here's what we're going to say. This golf pro tour handles that very well. Thanks to Jeff spring and large. Um, yeah, but here's why it's doubly bad in the middle of all of this incredible social media frenzy on all of these small and big things. This guy goes on and says that like in the middle of it all, like that's, what's mind blowing to me. But what I want to take the focus point here is, do I hope he gets fired or removed? I don't even know if that can happen according to the PDGA members. That's I hope not... he gets voted off. Okay. I'm just going to say that. Whether you say up, you hope he it or not. deserve to be in the position that he's in. It's a position where people can voice their opinions. This is a membership. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do, have I ever made mistakes? Yes. I'll be the first to say I've made pretty bad mistakes in a, in a pretty large way. Ask my wife. No, <laughs> but yeah. no, seriously. No. Okay. Yeah. But this is one of the downsides right now. And I'm really hoping, I know there's going to be interviews. I, I would assume out there with the PDGA uh, coming up. I thought about even trying to get that for tonight where we just want to hear, we just want to hear. I don't want to see an email that got sent out to the players as their response, because guess what? The public all is hearing all of this. So like the public needs to be addressed as well. And, yeah. and I just want to hear like, not that some of us are a-holes and some, the guy who's trying to help is a jerk. Even if that's your real opinion, because yeah. you're a brand and you need to protect that brand, your governing body, you need to protect. The, it, it, I hope the best for the PDGA because I think when they do things right, and obviously Paul is supporting this as well, or else he wouldn't have written, yeah. he wouldn't have written this formal hey, here's how I think we can do better if he wasn't supporting them. It's not an issue of let's boycott them, let's start another organization. It's they need to do better. And somebody, and it's not me, I'm I'm a talk show guy, (laughs) to go and talk to them and say, here's how you need to do it. I think the players who are complaining the most need to get together, combine all of their ideas, and tell the PDJ, this is our expectation. And here's even, they can even recommend, here's how we think it can happen. Is it as simple yeah. as a checklist <laughs> and a PR guy? Dude, yeah, I mean, that's a start is just making a checklist on like how we think of course should be viewed for the world championships. I mean, right. like, you know, it, it's just, it's, uh, it, it was unfortunate. Like that's the biggest thing of it all. It's, it's kind of hard to put into words. It really is. When I think back at like all the things that happened, you know, it, it's just, it's tough to really kind of like put it all I, into the words and how I feel like so many simple things were just completely overlooked. And Paul had kind of briefly, briefly mentioned it. We had over a thousand people at least watching the final round at the fort. A lot of people wanted that final round to be at Mulligan's. So now you have thousands of people coming out and watching these pro disc golfers with two bathrooms right next to each other throughout the whole course. It was a hundred degrees. It was freaking hot. And if you were not hydrating, you were going to feel like absolute dog crap. And it's just like, how do you not like, I'll say this MVP has like 20 porter parties all right next to each other. 
for players and spectators to use. And then throughout the course, there are some. Luckily, it's a wooded course, which is fortunate for men. You can find a spot in the woods, rush in there to where no one's going to be. But imagine being an FBO player in the 100-degree weather, and you're constantly drinking water because if you're not, like I said, you're just going to feel like crap and play like crap. And then all of a sudden, you get to hole four. You have no bathroom up until hole seven. And then after hole seven, you don't have a bathroom until hole 13. And we're talking multiple par fours, long par threes. Like we're not talking, you know, 250 foot holes. We're talking about 500 foot par threes, 700 foot par fours. I mean, (sighs) this is just such a small issue that the PDGA or the tournament staff just somehow looked at it and said, you know what? Two porta potties right next to each other. That's the way we should do it. And I think that that's great. I just something happened. Here's the deal. And I want to wrap up on this because I'm sure everybody's feeling so good right now. Like in their stomachs, they're just feeling good. Yeah, exactly. uh, Everyone's feeling so kumbaya. But here's the thing, Nick, I've ran, I've ran tournaments at a national level with my brother as an assistant TD. Things like porta potties and everything else. Yes, it it comes into conversation. And I'm not going to say we did everything perfect, but things like OB and porta potties and things of that nature, the small level did get taken care of. I'm not saying I was there at Worlds to to poo poo on that, no pun intended. Yeah. But there are things that will be missed. And I don't want to go out there and just land bast everybody who misses something like that. But they know they need to do better. Um, so let's turn this conversation a little bit. Yeah. All right. No, not yet. I got plenty of more things to complain about. <laughs> Chad, bring them in. I want to hear what you guys. Okay, fine. Know. How about something like, how about you ready? This is the last negative talk. Katrina Allen doesn't have a signature series disc and she's a two-time world champion now. Is it coming out? Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I would hope so. She deserves it. I, I don't know how Prodigy does their, I, I don't know. I don't know how Prodigy <laughs> does nice. their thing. I, I can't, yeah, I can't really complain about that in the sense of like, if, if her contract is good enough to where she doesn't even need a signature disc, then why sure. have a signature disc if it's not going to help her out at all? Like Maybe some she people wants make it. contracts to where some some people make contracts to where they have no disc endorsements, but they have a higher salary. People do people For do sure. that. So at that point, sure. it's like, what's the point of me even having a signature well, series disc? So maybe she wants yeah. it, maybe she doesn't. You're right. Anyways, I saw some people, she's including had, Paige she, Pierce. Yeah, she's had some uh like tour series discs, those like, I think she had those like shimmer 500 X threes or X fours or X twos. I forget which one it was, but, but she it's has not like had the, discs with her name on it. It's not like the signature though, where it's like, this is no, the Katrina. It's, it's not like, uh, you know, the Paul Macbeth destroyer, right. the Ricky wise hockey destroyers. It's not like anything like that or the Paul Macbeth buzz now. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, I get that. But like I said, I don't know how Prodigy does its thing. I, if, if she's happy with the way her contract is, then I can't imagine that. True. I yeah. the reason I brought it up yeah. is because Paige Pierce, five-time world champion, in saying congrats to Katrina, also called out saying, "How does she not have a signature series disc?" So I was just giving that to her. So here's here's where I want to take it, so everyone can feel better in their stomachs right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. This okay. This world's outcome. I already said this with Paul on was ultimately the best outcome for disc golf, and I think even Paul knows that he said that. Can I? Yeah. What do you think? Was this Paul's best tournament performance? I'm not saying outcome. No, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think it was uh, his best performance. How about his all. final round? I mean, I, How about his final I thought round? He played, his final round was really good. He did have that hiccup on hole nine, and from what I heard from someone else, is that someone came walking in the middle of the fairway as he was running up, and then he had to stop. This hmm. is what I heard. I have no idea. I didn't watch the post production. I didn't get to watch it live. 
Um, but I did hear that there was something that happened while he was on the tee pad. And that was kind of unfortunate because hole nine, your drive is very, very valuable in the sense of like, you have to throw a good drive even just to make birdie. And for someone like Paul who eagled it the day prior is probably trying to replicate that same shot and go for that same Eagle, I would assume. Um, but unfortunately something happened. So uh, kind of like talking about his final round, there were putts that made that final round so absolutely incredible to watch. His putt on hole 13, the elevated basket from about 45 feet away. I was watching it with Brody and his wife, Kelsey. We were watching live. We were sitting in the car just watching it, and two other people had just laid up, or I think Calvin, I think Calvin and James had laid up the putt, and then Paul was putting from like 45-somewhat feet. And all it did was remind me of the putt at 2020 MVP Open or 2019 MVP Open to where hole 17, elevated basket, absolute death behind it. He just cans this massive putt. And when he hit that one, it was like, oh, my gosh. And then hole 14, he had a somewhat bad drive, okay upshot, made a massive circle two putt again. Hole 15, parks the hole. 16, parks the hole. 17, hits a 35, 36-footer to stay one stroke ahead. I mean, what his putting was that round was absolutely nothing short of insane. So and it, it brought back replicas of old school, let's say, McBeast mode. But I don't think he was fully in McBeast mode. And the reason I'm talking about this, the chat's like, why are we talking about the loser, the second or the first loser? And the reason is, did he perform well enough to win? The answer is no. But everybody knows leading into that last hole that he did until that shot mm -hmm. from James. And then obviously the story changes. But like, Paul did everything he could to win. Were there mistakes? Yes, but that's every disc golf round. So uh, that's why we're talking about Paul right now. But in the same breath, is this the best round performance that James Conrad has ever had? Um, I, I do want to say the title's yes on the line. That. The title's on the line, I, so that makes a big deal. But I yeah. just mean in general his performance. Yeah. I, uh, I want to say yes to that in the sense of he had two hiccups, I think, on holes three and four. I think he went bogey-bogey on those holes. And three and four are, excuse me, incredibly hard holes. Four, I think, was one of the dumbest holes that we've ever played. Um, in the sense, the way it was laid out, it was a challenging tee shot into a challenging landing zone. I, I don't even know how many threes happened on it, maybe three or four, but, um, anyways, what he did afterwards, you know, he birdied the last five holes, technically six. If you include the playoff hole, he hit massive circle two putts. He hit massive regular putts. He was filleting lines throughout the woods on all these holes. And one of the, one of the greatest things about this and people have already mentioned it is the fact that James doesn't throw forehands. And so you could take 18 out of 18 of his tee shots were backhands when other players in certain positions, like let's say hole eight elevated basket, about 300 somewhat feet. It's a dominant forehand hole. And James has a disadvantage by not throwing a forehand on it. And um, so I think for what he did at that course against Paul, especially going against Paul, who had a one-stroke lead over him in the last hole, leading up to his miracle of a shot, it was nothing short of amazing his round in and of itself. He played the round exactly how he needed to play it. And from where I was standing, watching the live coverage, after his second shot, I thought Paul won the tournament. 
and my stomach was like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. Like, you know, I've said it before. Paul is one of my best friends, if not my best friend, to be honest. And to be able to witness one of your closest people in your life achieve something so incredible is, you know, I've seen him win tournaments before, but I haven't seen him win a major yet. And especially going for the sixth world title, one that hasn't happened in two years, whatever. For James to make that shot when he did, everyone started going ballistic. And there were a lot of pros that were standing kind of like, not in the crowd, but a little a ways away from it by the scoring tent. We were cheering. A lot of James's close friends were jumping up and down and everything. But there was some of us who were kind of just like, holy crap, what just happened? <laughs> we instantly knew. We instantly knew right then and there it was a playoff. And the fans were obviously going ballistic. I can't imagine what the live chat was like, what the commentators were like, but we were all just shocked. Like touring professionals and casual professionals at this event were just so shocked at what happened because it was nothing short of a miracle. And it was so incredible to watch in general. Um, I think James is an incredible person. If anyone ever has the pleasure of meeting or playing disc golf with his dad, he is also an incredible person there too great people and i'm so beyond happy for james conrad winning the worlds the way he did it it was insane absolutely <laughs> insane and so for him to be able to especially now he's going into the playoff hole against paul Macbeth, the world champion and he just parks it right off the bat and i don't know that it, it was just it was incredible <laughs> you, you just it was, keep it reliving insane. it you just keep reliving yeah. it. Although you did bring an I, insightful, I, insightful thing yeah. when you said like, there were some of us who were just like, and honestly, the feeling of like, no, like, no, I can't, that shouldn't so, have happened. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, like, I, I, I want to be, I want to be brutally honest with people. I, I was sad that that shot went in. I, I really was. I was happy for the moment that just happened, but I was rooting for Paul to win that tournament. And I wasn't rooting against James. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I've said it. I love it when James wins. Like I said, he's a great person. But when that shot went in, I I, I still think about it now. It's actually hard to go on social media right now because I watch it, watch it, watch it. And I'm like, oh my god, that that like actually happened. A one in a billion shot happened. Not one well. In a okay, let's talk about it. What is the actual yeah. odds? I, I want to see people in the chat here give me what they think the odds are for this to happen again. Now, let me play it out here. Odds are not. How many times does James Conrad stand at that shot and throw? Like, so let's say he stands there with a stack of 100 discs. That's not the odds we're talking about. We're talking about how many times does he step up to that throw for a first time <laughs> and get it in. And that is the odds we're yeah. talking about. And, and obviously that's hard to recreate because this is real world and we can't recreate that shot every time. Mm -hmm. But if you have him stand up there and everybody under the sun made a bet in that moment on whether he was making it or not. That's the scenario I'm talking about. So the now, now one, take in, that one in a thousand, say, one in a million. I don't yes. know what it is. So now take that scenario and say, if you hit the shot, you're getting $16,500 plus whatever bonus structure that your company works. Um, yeah. So ramp I think it up. with, with ramp all it up. that, with all that added pressure, thousand people watching you. Yeah. I, you're out of it. If you miss, you have to yeah. throw it in, and Paul, you did it. Paul, Paul said it too. One of, one of my biggest struggles this past tournament was throwing long shots because being at an elevation, everything was a little bit more stable. Uh, my discs weren't flying exactly the same like I'm used to. I had to throw more understable discs in the bag. And throwing that turnover putter shot 
I tried doing it a couple times for upshots on different holes, and I was kind of blown away by how stable my beat-up putters even got coming out of its flight. Um, and so for James to be able to do that in that moment, I mean, it's 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 wild because it's a shot that I'm sure he's thrown a million times, especially growing up and playing disc golf in Virginia, where a lot of courses are wooded. He's probably thrown a 243-foot putter shot on a slight ante thousands and thousands and thousands of times. But to do it, to tie the greatest player of all time at the world championships to force a playoff and then to go on and, and to win the playoff yeah. is just like, holy cow. People it's are trying like, to tell me on, on the chat. They're saying, oh, like he he's good at that shot. He can do it. Like, here's the deal. I'm not talking about, every, I'm not talking every about top player in the world right. can do that shot. Exactly. Maybe, Matt, you can do that shot. You can make <laughs> a 243 foot putter shot. I'm you not talking about the chances that. of that. Right. I'm not talking about yeah. the chances of throwing that shot in. James is very good at that shot. I'm talking about the, this is not a practice shot. This is a literally step up. I've never practiced yeah. this exact location to that exact location. I, I, maybe he did. I don't think he did. <laughs> but to step up and say, I have one chance. I'm going to throw this disc. I'm going to make it flex exactly how I want, right where I want it. Even he was surprised. So let's just put it out there. Even he was surprised because you could get that close to the basket a hundred times, but never put it in or a thousand yeah. times. So exactly. And that's even trying back to back to back to back to back. If he tried a thousand times, he probably gets a few of them in. But the first time on hole 18 in the final round of the world championship with everything on the line to do it, that is a whole nother scenario. So congratulations to him. Um, yeah. and, and I'll go back for those who missed same thing to Katrina. It didn't go in. She didn't need it to go in. She needed to land the green and she did that in a clutch move as well. Katrina, like the, the fact that it came down to one stroke, a five-time world champion having that one stroke, and then for their second-place competitor to come out and throw unbelievable shots. What Katrina did was nothing short of amazing, and what Conrad did was also nothing short of amazing. It it set up perfectly for, I'm sure, how the tournament did want it. I, I don't think the hole is great. Um but this is also something to take in consideration is the fact that Paul Macbeth had thrown first in that hole and threw an incredible drive. He was inbounds in a position to where he can make that birdie. James Conrad steps up and throws, hits a tree, is only a few feet away from the water, and now says, I, I literally, in his head, he's like, I more than likely probably will not birdie this hole now. And that gives Paul the green light to go ahead and take his four, especially after James's second shot. It's like, holy cow, like, I can't believe I just screwed this up on the 18th hole of the world championships. This is such a bummer. And then to put all of that aside, to take away every bad shot that he's had for the previous, what, 72 holes, to take all of that aside, or even more than that, to put all that aside, to step up and can that putt in front of thousands of people, 37,000 plus people watching on live coverage. Hey, that's... <laughs> One of the best sports moments in the world. I think All right. I, 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 I want to say why I think that. And the first thing I thought of was clutch moments in any sport. I like basketball. I enjoy watching uh, the Celtics as much as I can. I enjoy watching the NBA. Um, when Ray Allen played for the Celtics, he hit multiple game winners from three. But one of the biggest moments I think of Ray Allen's career was when he was playing for the Miami Heat. I think it was either in the Eastern Conference Finals or in the Finals itself. Ray Allen got a pass from Chris Bosh out in the corner, hit a three-pointer, and won the game because of that. 
that's a shot though that I expect Ray Allen to make in the sense of he practices that three pointer every single day. That is his specialty. James Conrad doesn't go to a tee pad 250 feet away and throw a slight ante with a putter every single day, hundreds and hundreds of times. He just, that's not what he does. And so for James to be able to step up and only have that one opportunity to do that, there's no takes backs. There's no, there's no mulligans. He literally just went up and did that. I think that's why that will be one of the most incredible disc golf moments slash sports moments ever. I'm calling BS on our chat. They're good people. They're good people. I'm not calling them out for being bad people. They said, and no, I can't call BS. Let me say it this way. (laughs) (laughs) Take take it back. I got to change this. Someone said, if they had to choose any player for that shot. So this is not, this is with hindsight, obviously in mind, like we saw what happened, but for sake of debate and topic here, Nick, yeah, you could choose any player. They had to be at that shot where James Conrad was. And you, this was for your life or you made a million dollar bet or something like massive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You have to pick the player that you want to throw that in. I am 99% sure I'm either going Paul McBeth or, yeah. or Simon. <laughs> Shout no, out to Simon That's the answer that I wanted to hear. <laughs> I see. I have personally, and for everyone who's saying, I, I, you know, for everyone who's saying that they would pick James Conrad for that shot, show me videos of James Conrad hanging that shot. Uh, he's obviously an incredible thrower of the putter, incredible thrower of the mid range, but like, show me a video of where he's hitting that turnover putter shot in the basket. Just send it to the Nick and Macho Instagram or Twitter or whatever. I, I, I genuinely want to see videos of him hitting that kind of shot. I've played, I don't know, plenty, plenty of rounds with Simon Lazat, and I have personally watched Simon Lazat throw that kind of shot and sometimes even make it twice in a row. Like what Simon Lazat, he would be 100%. He'd be the person I'd pick. If my life was on the line, <laughs> more than likely I'm going to die. Don't get me wrong. I, I, My odds of me living at that chance are slim to none. But I put all, absolutely all my faith in Simon freaking Lazat. Bro, uh, people you know, in the chat are like, what if, what if Conrad like baited Macbeth into laying up? He actually did all that. The conspiracies Conrad, are flying now. <laughs> Conrad was playing chess and Paul Macbeth was playing checkers. Yeah. Like that's that's what it was. I'm gonna get Paul to lay up and because I can't he doesn't think I've practiced this shot. Now listen. Dude, I, I cannot wait to interview James on just yeah. like and I will tell him exactly the same things I would say tonight. I, like what I'm saying tonight, he knows. In the sense of he didn't practice that shot. He did not expect. Now, he's a competitor. He did everything right, and he did execute the shot. You cannot take it away. One in a million, Mm -hmm. he did it at the right time. Lightning struck. Will it ever happen again like that? My my, uh, vote is probably no. Not in that same scenario with a tie to go to playoff, uh, throw a 247. Yeah, at the world champ. I don't think it will ever happen again. And I don't think that's a hot take. I think the percentages are too I would, crazy. I would bet my life that in my disc golf career, I will never watch that right. ever happen again, so, especially live in person. That's what is even freakier is the fact that I watched <laughs> it live. So, <laughs> it was just because I'm, you know, I'm rooting for my homeboy and right. that happened. And I'm just like, I, so I'll say this, uh, the playoff started and I knew James was throwing first. And I, <laughs> I literally sat with my head down, just kind of like, I, I knew whether his shot was going to be in bounds or not. And I, I was 99.9% sure James was going to throw the shot in bounds. Um, I sat there. I didn't watch either of the player's shots. 
And then all of a sudden you just hear the massive cheering. And I'm so like, okay, James is on the green. And then I hear a split second of cheering and then, ah, so I knew Paul shot went OB and right then and there, the tournament's over. Like even, even if Paul hits the putt from the 60, 70 foot drop zone, whatever it is, if Paul hits that putt, I figured James was probably only 20, 25 feet away. He was more than likely, you could look up his putting stats. I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but more than likely he was probably going to hit that putt. Do I think that's a great playoff hole to start? Yes and no, because it creates so much. But at the same time, it's like, I I don't know. All right. We're getting to the, we're getting to the wrap up zone here, but I, I, I've been reading these chats and we're, we're not, you and me aren't giving James enough credit. Here's the deal. Oh my God. I James, I can't give James enough credit exactly. in a sense. I, yeah. So I, let's say that. So I'll say just, that, but here's I'll the, say here, that right off the bat. Right. Like James, so, James is very, <laughs> very, very beyond deserving. And he did everything that he needed to do exactly. to win the world championship. And I, I will never, ever, he w- is now and forever will be a PGA world champion. And I absolutely applaud him for that. I think he's what one of the people nicest don't people. Like, what people don't like right now is the fact that I might call this a fluke. Because they're putting so much of his skill on the line. They're saying that he can do that. Now, here's my here's why I would even dabble in the fluke word. I believe he did everything he needed to do perfectly, but could he repeat mm-hmm. that? That's a fluke defined yeah. as an unlikely chance occurrence, especially a surprising yeah. piece of luck. Now, that is like, did you see how it hit the chains, barely stuck the back, the whole thing? Yeah. Everything was just Matt, right. I was 40 feet away from it. I saw it. <laughs> I'm not, okay, so now people are going to be really upset. Matt just called it a fluke. Yeah. Here, here's what I'm saying. He did it the way he needed to do it. But for those of you who are saying all day, James Conrad could do that all day, every day. Let's have him step mm-hmm. up there again. Let's have him try that shot a thousand times. Even, uh, but you can't re- repeat, you can't repeat it because yeah. the same pressures aren't there. Everything's not there. So yeah. I uh I don't like the word fluke, especially <laughs> for players of James uh, Conrad's caliber. It's not the right word. Like, it's not the right word. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that word. I think was it unprobable? Absolutely. But at the same time, like James Conrad could go next year and world win the world championships again. He absolutely could do it. Like James isn't. He's a two-time major winner now at USCGC. He's in Worlds. He's one of six players to actually win the USCGC and Worlds. Um. So fluke, no, absolutely not. The thing is, is that people don't realize like James only competes on the road and usually only plays big events. He doesn't have a ton of wins to his name, but there every single time that he has won, it's usually against a very, very, very crowded field of the top players in the game. And so I a hundred percent would never, ever, ever call it a fluke because it's not as someone of that caliber. You can't really call anything a fluke at that point. Um, the shot was incredible and I'll say it, this is nothing against James, but like the shot was a miracle and the situation that it happened in, it was a miracle on the disc golf course, like miracle (laughs) on ice. It was miracle on disc golf course. Miracle is a better word. Um, you guys ever seen the angels in the outfield An angel literally took that disc and guided it into the basket. I'm totally kidding about that, but um, a miracle. Here's the other way. This is a better spin on it. A surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. And guess what? He actually says that in a recent post that he did just before the show. He said, and this is for all of you saying that he's practiced this, he could do that every time. He even said, he thinks 
all the collective energy of everybody watching willed it into the basket. He's not even taking yeah. credit for throwing that shot in the basket. Yeah. I, I really appreciate everybody that comes here to comment and chat. Nick, it's our lot largest audience ever. Um, I, uh, totally a, cool. A billion. We appreciate everyone here. <laughs> I will say, yeah. I don't think we're so negative Nancy every show, but that's, you know, just my opinion on no. it. I feel like there was a lot I, to be addressed from this last this last world championship building yes. up, building up since, you know, even women's major and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I would like to see positive change. I think Paul said he expects that it's coming based off of his understanding of response and everything. Um, so that's good yeah. to see. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. And I guess, yeah, we, I'll say this really quick. I don't know if we, it was in our show notes, but congrats to Brian Schweberger on his 300th yeah. PDGA career win. Pretty incredible. Milestone, he's only one of two players now, him and Elaine King, which is incredible. But major shout out to James Conrad and Katrina Allen. Uh, the biggest of congratulations, <laughs> James, becoming a one-time PDGA world champion and Katrina becoming a two-time PDGA world champion. Uh, it, it is an incredible moment that happened in disc golf. And I'm so happy for both of them. I'm happy for the way that the sport is trending to have 38,000 people watch it live for that video to already have over millions of views on it. I've had people that don't even watch disc golf, send me that video. And they were like, Hey dude, were you there? And I'm like, dude, I was there. It, it's insane. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, to everyone listening post audio to everyone listening right now, we here at the Nick and Matt show, we love greatness and, you know, we appreciate the things that happen in our sport, but we also mainly, we appreciate all of you tuning into our show because without you, there is no Nick and Matt show. There is no startup of it. There was no idea of the foundation podcast network and us joining it. And that all comes in. Thanks to you all. So hopefully you don't take this episode as <laughs> negative. Nancy, I, I, I was more negative this episode than I think I've been probably in the whole history of the other 48 episodes we've done. We're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. We have we yeah. have people in the chat saying they'll never watch us again. I, I think if we're sharing our opinions, that's the way it goes. We're sharing our opinions. Yeah. I, I told you earlier, you're going to yeah. get pretty much full transparency. In some things, we're just going to say what we think. I've had people message me saying it's my fault. Paul lost, and <laughs> maybe it is. But like, I think when you're someone in the spotlight of disc golf, even in the smallest platforms, you're going to get people coming on and saying, "Hey, I'm never going to watch a yeah. show again." You know what? Hey, it is what it is. I, you know, I, I wish the best in your disc golf life. Yeah, for real. For real. We don't wish the negative for anybody. Um, oh, exactly. Totally, totally appreciate it, everybody. Again, go check out Foundation Discs or foundationdiscgolf.com, and you can pick up some ways to support us here. Um, Nick, yeah. my brother wrapped it up last week, and he did a pretty good job, but there's no one that's going to replace the way you do it. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone, please go on, comment, like, subscribe. Check us out on the Foundation Podcast YouTube network. Also, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms. We do do our post audio. We really appreciate it. If you go ahead and take a listen to that, tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. That's right. Nick, you're awesome. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.